miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were gonna be friends to the end. And now it's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. Gentlemen, kids, and heroes, welcome to an all-new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, delivering deep dives, top fives, and good vibes, all of course for the Film Effect Archives. This week, it's time to relearn some Dembala voodoo magic, because on this edition of the podcast, Chucky's back to be finally tackle a certain universally loved sequel to Tom Holland's 1988 killer doll classic. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Child's Play 2. Child's Play 2, Charles Lee Ray, better known as Chucky, continues his pursuit for Andy Barkley, who is placed in foster care after the events of the first film, so he can transfer his soul into him after being resurrected. Alright, so here we finally go. I'll just cut right to the chase. I love this goddamn movie. Always have, always will. It's a movie that I simply adore. I'm always going to celebrate Child's Play 2, and I'll continue to watch it annually as we approach the film's 35th anniversary next year and i love it for a variety of reasons reasons in which we'll get into of course but before we begin our film effect treatment on this particular sequel how have you been Corey? it's nice having you back for another episode yeah i've been doing good you know just surviving the surviving the holidays as it were um you know happy to be back on happy to be starting back up Furecast. Um, yeah you know wrapped up last year and now rolling back into a new year so yeah, looking forward to being around as always. Yeah, looking forward to having you. Well, 
I'll tell you what. Child's Play 2 has had me ever since that first time viewing. And speaking of... Oh my goodness, I remember the first time I saw that picture. I thought it was just wonderful. So, Corey, I mean, (laughs) we share a common first-time experience with this one because, you know, I don't know about you, but I remember this moment very vividly. Like, I remember sitting on my fucking porch at my in my grandparents' place and you coming home and you had you had rent the blockbuster wherever you were at with your parents or whatever and you stopped and you rented Child's Play 2 to my surprise and we watched it that very night in your basement. I remember sitting on the sofa, you sat on the usual recliner you always sat on and I just I remember the whole time, the whole experience just being so excited because I really wanted to see this movie. So, anything, yeah. is it, does, does, do you remember as well as I do, or is it, it was a kind of a blur? I know it was a while ago. No, I remember, uh, I don't remember how I got my parents to let me uh, rent it. Yeah, I don't we either. definitely too young. Yeah, like, you were like four or five. It was, you were, we were really young. Yeah, I don't remember how, I don't know if, like, they just glanced at the box and saw a doll and was like, ah, it's a kid's movie. <laughs> Probably. I rented it, but... Uh, somehow I, you know, got away with it. And I remember just running downstairs and we were just like excited. And, um, you know, I still remember to this day popping it in and then, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll get into the opening scene, but that that'll always be burned in my mind. Just like the opening scene. And I'm like, we should not be watching this, but I was so excited because, yeah, it it was just like forbidden fruit. But, you know, I always love Chucky and I just remember it's scaring the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Like, back then i mean i was like petrified like there was no way we should ever watch that but yeah i definitely remember uh like (laughs) that day in the basement there's very few things i remember from back then but that's definitely one of them (laughs) is watching child's play 2 because this was early 91 because this was right after it came out on video which was our like march or april or so because this came out this was in theaters we're about to get into it but it was in november of 90 so it had to have came out on VHS, like, usually the window back then was, like, six to nine months it, it, it came out on VHS for rental. Closer to nine back then, but, uh, yeah, we, we were definitely young, so. Alright, let's talk some numbers in the form of box office receipts. Get receipts. And, as I said, Child's Play 2 was released on November 9th, 1990 from Universal Pictures, Opening up across 1,996 screens, just shy of 2,000. Opened up in first place with $10.7 million. Second week, it dropped the norm 53.3% to 5 million. Third place, total gross 35.8 million on a budget of 12. So it made some money. I mean, there's a reason. The third film came out nine months after this. This, this, the, 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 uh, I think Child's Play 3 came out Labor Day weekend of 92, or I mean 91. So they were really happy with these numbers box office wise. I mean, they're not, it's nothing to like really overly gloat about. It's, 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 you know, pretty good for a killer dollar movie at, during a time when, you know, slasher films were just on, on like a down, downward incline and a lot of these franchises were kind of wrapping up. Like, like at Freddy and Jason, whereas Chucky was fresh to the scene. This was only his second outing, and Universal, which we'll you also get into, they had won the rights to this film, so this was their first outing with Chucky. And uh, yeah, they were excited about these numbers, like I said, because they really hit the fast forward button for part three, putting it out just nine months. I think 
think this film, I think part three went into production like the week this opened in theaters. You know, to put it in perspective of how quickly that film was rushed. And it shows. I mean, we'll get into our top five in a minute, but uh, yeah. So, anything you wanted to add? No, I mean, I, I just remember just Chucky being like huge around this time. I mean, it was yeah. just like on fire. Like, I mean, everybody was talking about it. He was everywhere. I mean, yeah, it, in a time where everything else was fading, like, you know, as far as like the slasher icons, you know, I mean, at this point you were starting to get like the really bottom basement sequels <laughs> of Freddy and Jason. But then, you know, Chucky's just getting started. So, yeah, I did. I, I always just remember that, like how close the second and third one came out. And then I remember like, what the fuck happened to Andy in the third one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely another conversation for another day. I just remember around the when this came out, they used to do TV spots where they were like audience reactions of the movie. Like, uh, they, I guess they would like go to theaters around L.A. opening weekend and like get people's reactions. And they would throw that into a TV spot with a couple scenes and be like, this is why people were saying so-and-so about this movie. Do you remember that? It used to be a thing back in, like, the 90s and aughts. Yeah. Maybe oh, even yeah. the 80s. Though, uh, the reason I bring it up is because they did it for this movie. I remember this particular TV spot, and there was this guy who uttered the lines, More Chuck for your buck. More Chuck for the buck. <laughs> and that kind of, like, <laughs> just was embedded in my head all these years. He was definitely a pop icon, Chucky, so... Anywho, let's do our pre-dive top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white light, white heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Rule. And I said, fuck it. Let's do our favorite Child's Play films. Or Child's Play slash Chucky films. Um, and I'm just to preface what I was getting at earlier. Child's Play 3 did not make my list. It's my least favorite film out of the franchise. Um, there's a reason that film is the, the way it is. Like I said, the the, the, the fast pace the the rush production on that movie just it was a mess so that's just something i don't want to get into it's it's my least favorite spoiler alert it's not gonna make my list anywho um i did want to do an honorable mention um shout out to call of chucky i mean i really wanted to find a way to put that on my list because i really do like call of chucky i think i like it a lot more than most fans but uh, there's just five other movies and I was kicking it around because number five, Bride of Chucky. You know, I like Bride of Chucky, but I'm not like in love with that film the way a lot of people are. I mean, I, there's a lot of people out there who think this or find this to be their favorite, you know, which is fine. It's fair. It's 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 one's opinion. We just don't share that 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 same one. Uh, but I really do think Bride is a more complete film than Cult, even though Cult does have a lot of stuff that I personally appreciate it's kind of like a De Palma film on mushrooms um to put it in perspective but yeah Bride of Chucky uh number five for me how about you Corey yeah so uh real quick um I have honorable mention I mean I, I know like 
it's a top five and there's not even that many to choose from but no there's seven you know i really don't dislike any of the movies i mean i would say i would say it's pretty close i would say i prefer child's play three over cult and uh curse you know just for no other reason than nostalgic value even though the third one i acknowledge really isn't a good movie uh you know i i have that next the nostalgic value of being younger and watching it you know i, I, yeah, won't lie. I was i was a little disappointed in curse I, I i it was okay it wasn't terrible you know i know what they were trying to do with curse of chucky cult actually was a little bit better i enjoyed cult of chucky i thought it was fun you know i like the i like the direction it was going in Mm-hmm. So they were fine, but um, none of those made my list. I mean, if, if, but out of the ones that didn't make my list, um, you know, I, I would say Child's Play Through is probably the closest just because I do like the ending. I like the whole like roller coaster uh, ending and Chucky falls into a giant fan. I, I thought that was a cool ending. And uh, I always got a laugh with the barber, too. <laughs> and the third one, that was always a good kill. Yeah, dead. Yeah, that was always a good line. I, I, I like that. But anyway, uh, my number five, it might be cheating. I don't know if you got mad, but um, if you'll get mad by this pick. But um, I'm picking um, the Child's Play remake. Um, so th- that made my number five, actually. is <laughs> Okay, I'm sitting here right now like trying to do math in my head. I'm like, there's seven movies. So if the two Cult and Curse films and Child's Play 3 didn't make the list, what the fuck is he getting at? Okay, I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about the remake, to be honest with you. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Good it. Good call. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It surprised me. I was very skeptical because I, when I heard about the remake, I was not sold at all. I I didn't think it was a good idea. I thought it was weird nah. because they had the sequel still coming out, and then now they're doing a remake. But it was hilarious. I mean, I I thought it was funny. I, I liked the satire. I liked the new direction. I thought it brought enough new stuff in there. You know, while obviously having Chucky as a character. So I, I found it really enjoyable. I actually watched it a couple times uh, when it first got released on Blu-ray. So I I was very surprised by it. I um, I like the voice direction they went. Obviously, uh, very Mark different. Than, yeah, Mark Hamill, very different than Brad Dorf. Um, but I thought it was hilarious. I, I thought it was a great, uh, great remake. I think it did what a good remake should do. Inter- it reintroduced... Uh, Chucky to a younger audience and it, it brought in new ideas you know so I, I really enjoyed the remake so that's why I made my number five yeah, it's funny about the remake me and my daughter went and saw it opening weekend and we both were huge fans of it we both like really were praising the movie a lot there's a lot of stuff that I know I liked and all and I have not went back and rewatched that movie since. I had no I can't tell you why. I have no I I never ended up buying it. I don't know. For a movie that I thought was so good when I first saw it in the theaters, I I, I haven't backed it up one bit. I, I I never I didn't buy the Blu-ray. I haven't rewatched it. I I don't know. I it's weird. That that's a weird one. Um even I'm admitting that. Uh Maybe that'll change soon. I don't know. I mean, to put it in perspective, I wasn't even thinking about it doing this list. So, it kind of caught me off guard when you said that as your number five. So, number four. I guess we'll circle back to Curse of Chucky because that's my number four. Um, and, but that, I guess that makes it your least favorite film of the franchise. Yeah. 
Yeah, technically. I mean, I don't hate it, but yeah, technically right, it's right, probably right. my yeah, least you, favorite. Yeah, you already stated that all of them, you know, you like it, even the ones that didn't make the list. But why I have it on my list at number four is because I really appreciated the return of form. I thought that the series was just after uh, Bride and um, Seed. I'm just throwing a blank for a second on that fifth film. I the, the series just kind of like was going in a direction that, even though I didn't mind it, a lot of people weren't digging it. Uh, that's why the reception for Seed turned out the way it did, and I think that was kind of like that's where that even that film made Universal pump the brakes and on and kind of like look back on on everything and be like, okay, what are we doing with this series now? Um, and that's why Curse, it, it, it took eight years for the next film, which was Curse. And that's why Curse was directed video because of what happened with Seed. But I, again, I really appreciated the return to form, the dark, um, the fact that it's all practically set in this like large haunted house type setting. Um, I'm kind of like, eh, on his design in that movie. I have no idea why they did the whole like clay face to cover up the stitches thing if they, if they were going to go back to that look all along then why didn't they just make it that way to begin with um but that's you know whatever just common nitpicks that i have like i do for every movie but yeah i i really you know have a lot of good things uh to say about curse but i'm not gonna keep going so number four for me is curse you're up yeah <laughs> Yeah, so um, my number four is kind of similar in the way you were talking about the remake. I haven't seen it in a while, but my number four is Seed of Chucky. Um, mm. I like the direction it was going in. Yes, it was a very strange direction going in like the meta, breaking the fourth wall, having fucking John Waters in there. Like, it, <laughs> it, it's just weird. Like, And he's back for the TV show. Yeah, I heard I heard about that. Yeah, and it was just weird. Like I, I'm like Red Man's in it. Like what is this? Yeah, like, Red Man. That still is a weird, bizarre casting. It is. It's just like Jennifer Tilly and Red Man. Like it's just. It's it like we gotta no have sense. a rapper for this role. Oh yeah. shit! The only person that's gonna say yes is Red Man. Apparently. Yeah, it just makes no sense. But uh, like watching it, it, it is just hilarious, and I love like Glenn or Glenda, like the throwback to Edward. Like it's just. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's just great. I I love the direction it won. Um, you know, I would have been fine if the Universal just followed in this direction and just made another direct sequel instead of kind of doing like, you know, the a little bit of a soft reboot with Curse. Like, I would have been fine with that. I wouldn't have been mad if they kept going. I don't know where the fuck it would have went, but <laughs> if they continued in the similar series. So, uh, I haven't seen Seed in a long time. It's probably been a good fifteen years for me. Oh wow! But okay. Yeah, it, it was like several years after it came out. It was the last time I watched it, but I remember really liking it. I thought Seed was a solid sequel, even though a lot of people had uh, different opinions on it. I, I, I enjoyed it, So, but it's one I got to go back and rewatch. Do you watch the show? I tried season one. I got probably about four or five episodes into season one. Oh. It was okay. I didn't dislike it. It just, I just never went back. I watched like, fourth or fifth episode i was like oh, i'll go back and watch it and hmm. i just never did i mean i like the cast like i i thought it was cool like having heaven saw all of their playing multiple characters that was pretty awesome well, you should um, really go back and try and give it another shot um 
I just think it'll it'll pay off in the end as, as um, they usually pretty much go big on the finales of the show so far because it's on the third season. Um, the reason yeah, I bring it up should. is because the second season actually does follow up on Seed. So you do get like what's happened to these characters. Spoiler alert, Glenn and Glenda returns in the second season in human form. Um, yeah, and I just think that you would like it. I, I do. I know it's kind of like, it's different. Uh, especially, you know, you, I think you said you watched the first four or five episodes, if I'm not mistaken. That's half the season. Uh, yeah. I do think if you would have continued and give it like another, like if you would have gave it like two more episodes, um, you would have found yourself at least finishing it out. And I think that the, the show does a good job of keeping the viewers invested um, and that's why the return rate, the, 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 follow se- the following season, like, the numbers were huge for the premiere. And they, they continue to go up. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm not surprised the show... I, I don't feel like the show's going anywhere anytime soon. I think the show still has a good two or three seasons left in it um, before we can start thinking about, ooh, is this, is this going to keep going? Um... Because the numbers are there, and it's, and it's definitely a talked-about show when it when it's on. Unfortunately, because of the, the strike, we're kind of in a hiatus. Then we had the first four episodes ready of the third season, so we're kind of like in limbo right now, waiting for the last. I think they said that's eight total this season, so the last four, which I'm anticipating. I if, if I were to put a guess on it, I would say probably March. We'll see the last four episodes drop of the season. So I'm excited for that, especially because, like I mentioned, John Waters is supposed to be the head of Pen Pal, uh, Play Pal Toys in this season. Oh, yeah. So, That's awesome. It's going to be interesting, you know. Um, number three for me, though, is Seed. Uh, for so, like, everything you just said, uh, I've always been a big defender of Seed. I just love how Mancini... It was Mancini's first movie uh, directing, and... Um, you know, he's a known member of the gay community, and I love all of his ideas just come to light in this movie. Um, it definitely represents the LBGTQ community um, in spades. That's, you know, one of the many things I love about that movie. It's funny. I, I, I too, appreciate the direction it was going in, because it's like, all right. The horror is kind of worn out. Let's just... We still got this character. There's still... You know... Um, people still have an interest in him. So... You know, why not? So that's why the show is kind of like kooky. But I like the show. But anyway, yeah. Number three for me is Seed. Yeah, so my uh, number three might surprise people. Uh, but my number three is the original Child's Play. Um, okay. You know, I like it. Like, you know, all the movies on the list, obviously, I like. You know, I like the original, but I don't think they quite knew what they had in the original. I, you know, for reasons we'll get into on the next, you know, the next two on my list, I think are much better. You know, the original definitely has its charm, and, you know, I, I do enjoy the ending. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's some stuff I don't care for. I don't care for, like, in the beginning, it, it, the movie almost seems like it's trying to make it. Like maybe the kid, you know, Andy is crazy or something like that. And it's not necessarily the doll, which I don't know why they're doing that. Because you literally see Charles Lee Ray, like, you know, do his voodoo thing with yeah. the doll. So I don't know. It, it was just it opens an the movie, odd way. Right. 
Like, right. uh, you know, you know the doll's evil already. So I don't know, like, why they were doing that. It, if it was laid out a little differently, I would understand it more, you know, and... But and we've talked about this in, in length, you know. We had an episode that you and I did the last time. Yeah. And this was yeah, brought so up, so... Go back to our um, episode we did, uh, what was it, last last Harathon? Uh, Harathon 2, Season of Pod. Or okay. uh, Dead by Pod. Okay, yeah, go back to that one. It was a good episode, but um, yeah, I have some issues with the first one. So I, you know, while obviously it's one of the better ones in the series and I enjoy it started out everything and Brad Dorf is amazing. Uh, there's two more that I like better. Fair enough. I think I have an idea what those two are. Number two is Child's Play, the original. Um, no, I, I, I love it. Not as much as number one, obviously. Uh, we talked about it already at great length. Uh, we talked to... We talked, the, talked their heads off about that movie. I really, 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 really love that movie. So um, go back and listen to it if you haven't. And otherwise, what's your number two? Yeah, so my number two, I you know, if somebody argued the, child's, the original Child's Play is a better movie, I really couldn't argue. But I'm just saying it's my list and my personal favorite. So right. my number two is Bride. Bride of Chucky. I just remember having a blast. I remember going to see it in theaters. It was mm-hmm. the first Child's Play we saw in theaters because we were old enough to go at that point. Yeah, true. Um, I I, I love the, yeah, I love the whole aesthetic. I love the Rob Zombie uh, music thrown in there. Um, I love Jennifer Tilly in the movie. I thought she was great, like an excellent addition to the franchise. Obviously, still going strong. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a great movie. I know it has some issues, but I, I just love the fact that, you know, Chucky's got his girl and they're in a like motor home, just terrorizing this poor young couple. I love that they're in a love hotel. Good old John Ritter makes an appearance and gets his. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I love the fact that Chucky gets trapped by Jennifer Tilly in the beginning. Like, it's just, yeah. a, just a fun movie to me. Like, yeah, it could be a little bit cringy, you know, from that era of filmmaking. I, I, It's definitely a little dated watching it now, but I just have such nostalgia for that time period and being like a teenager and going to see it. So uh, that's why it's my personal uh, number two is Bride. I will say this. Uh, I just picked up the latter four sequels on uh, Screen Factory, put them out on 4K. Uh, when was that? It was about four or five months ago, maybe maybe three. Anyway, I got them all, and I went. I have recently rewatched Bride, uh, and I had not seen Bride in like fifteen years or so myself uh, prior to that viewing. And yeah, wasn't mad at it. I had a lot of fun with it actually. So I think that's why it made my list, as opposed to Call Up, is because I just had a real fun time with it last time I watched it. So, yeah. Uh, number one, though. Hey, Child's Play 2. Bet your ass we're going to get into it. So, hold your horses. You'll know why I love this movie soon enough. Yeah, and obviously mine's the same, Child's Play 2. Uh, to me, they built upon the original and perfected it. Like, to me, this is the... It's not even really close, honestly. Like, I mean, it wouldn't even be a choice. If you said you could pick one movie, it would be Child's Play 2. For reasons we'll get into. That's right. All right, let's get into it. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. 
that's it. Mm-hmm. That, that's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Starting with the cast and crew rundown. All right, so we got Alex Vincent coming back as Andy Barkley. Yeah, Child's Play and Child's Play Two are the only two movies that I knew uh, Vincent from, uh, even though he was in some other projects. But short-lived, doesn't have the biggest filmography. Come came back for the post-credit scene for Curse. He was in Call. I love that scene. Yeah, awesome scene. By the way, I love that. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I was like, "Way to go, Alex Vincent." That's great. And I love how he kept the head in cult. He's like, you know, smoking a joint with it and everything. It's great. And then it all comes back in the series. So, and speaking of the series, that's, that's, you know, it's great seeing him back on there. You know, a little rough around the edges in the acting department on the first season. But by season two, he definitely comes around. And I think he's a more well-rounded actor. Um, So, yeah. uh, And then, you know. Let's see, Brad Dourif, second build as Chucky, voice of Chucky, rather. You don't see him one bit in this one. Um, yeah, Brad Dourif has just one of the greatest film filmographies, one of the best careers. Of course, you can forget his first role, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's, yeah. you know, we just, we've, we literally just talked about Brad on our Urban Legend episode. You know, he's just one of those distinctive actors. He's got that voice. Um... You know, there's yeah. just so many reasons that, that, you know, we love Brad collectively. But And it's just, it's crazy to me because, like, he'll always be Chucky, number one to oh, me. Yeah. And oh, obviously yeah. Billy, Billy from One Flew Over mm-hmm. the Cuckoo's Nest. But for a lot of mainstream audiences, they probably know him from Lord of the Rings, which to me, that's like a secondary thing. You're right. In, but a lot of people would probably know him from that. Yeah, to be honest with you, other than Charles Lee Ray, for me, I know him from two other films that came out around the same time as this movie. Uh, graveyard shift he was just really fucked up redneck like exterminator character and the exorcist 3 which oh, yeah. you know we always bring up and we gotta get around to it <laughs> yeah we will eventually <laughs> so yeah but Christina Lease is Kyle that's Andy's uh, foster sister and around this time she was on like shows like 90210, uh, In the Heat of the Night. Later on in the 90s, she was on ER for a little while. That's what I was going to say. That's the only other thing I remember her from was ER. Um, she had like a reoccurring thing. I just yeah. remember watching this movie. She was the coolest. Honestly, like, yeah. it, you know, the five-year-old, six-year-old me, I thought she was the coolest. I was like, I wish she was my big sister. Like, I, I thought it was awesome. She was the coolest. I had the biggest fucking crush on her. Um, it's a funny story about Christina Lee. I actually got to sit down and talk to her uh, a few years ago. Uh, kind of interview her for my buddy Jonathan's, uh, his podcast. They did this uh, fundraiser event over three days. And they had a bunch of different like interviews and stuff set up and he let me do the Christina Lee interview. And of course this film came up and when I was doing the introduction to it, I made the, I, I guess it was the mistake. I didn't fi- feel like I was doing anything personally harmful, especially to the film itself or its fans. But I called Todd's play too underrated. And you would have thought 
I called it the worst fucking film I've ever seen in my life. The way she got all defensive and shit. Like, she kind of, like, gave it back to me on that. And I was just like, I love you. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> you know? Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't come down on me like this. Like, I didn't mean any harm. I just called the film underrated because maybe to the, the, the greater population, it is underrated. But what do I know? I know Christina Lee's and, and um, Alex Vincent are both... D- they love this film. They love this film and this franchise because I don't mean any harm. I don't mean any ill will. But let's face it. It's all they've got. It's all they've ever had as far as their careers go. So, you know, at least maybe a little bit more. She did have, like I said, 90210 that people will remember her from. Um, but it's not like she had the, big, the, the biggest filmography. Other than this, she had two other roles. Boiling Point and Body Snatchers. And let me tell you something. Both those films... I mean, Body Snatchers is underrated. That's definitely underrated. And I'll I'll say that to Christina Lisa's fucking face all week long. But it's not like she has the biggest roles in those movies, you know? So, I, I don't know. It was just kind of a funny moment that I, had. I was taken aback by. Because I'm like, I love you. Do not ruin this. <laughs> like, I didn't mean any fucking harm. I was just calling it underrated. Because it kind of is. So, um... Speaking of underrated, Jenny Agutter is Joanne Simpson, Andy's foster mother who adopts him. Um, you know, and I just recently talked about Jenny on the American Werewolf in London episode that I did with Stu from Stu World Order. Um, good episode. Check it out for back a Harathon 3 episode back in October. But I, I kind of like, you know, talked about her and how she, uh, just, she's just an adorable actress. Um, between this and I also talked about her in the Darkman episode that I did um so yeah I really don't feel like I have anything more I have to say other than the fact that she's just a lovely actress who I've always adored she's very professional she's damn good at what she does um you know she's it's, it's it must be like a British thing a lot of British actors are just so good at their job they're just they just they take it like more seriously like it's a craft and I could tell She's no different. Um, Garrett Graham is Phil. When I think of Garrett Graham, funny enough, it's not Child's Play 2 that comes to mind. It's Chud 2. Bud the Chud. <laughs> That's funny. You ever seen Bud the know. Chud? No, I've seen the original. I've never seen the sequel. Oh, it's a totally different beast altogether. The first one's serious. Bud uh, Chud 2 is just a fucking hilarious horror comedy. I grew up with Bud the Chud, so that's why I'm such a big fan of it. But a lot of the people, a lot of people will probably remember him from Phantom of the Paradise and um, one of his earlier roles. He was also in the, the Blob sequel, Beware of the Blob, that was famously directed by Larry Hagman. So yeah, Jr. directed that Blob too, and um, yeah, he's also another, he's a character actor who pops up in a lot. He was in the very first Tales of the Crypt episode. Uh, um, you know where I remember him from? You're talking about mall? Garrett Graham still. Yeah, Shopping Mall? Yeah. Well, Shopping Mall, yes. But um, the the most obscure thing I remember him from is, do you remember the weird science TV show on USA? Oh, you better believe it. Yeah, he was, uh, I think, like like a mad scientist or something <laughs> of that sort. I'm not surprised. On, on the show, I remember that because I used to love that show. I had the hugest uh, crush on... um 
God, what's the actress's name? Vanessa Angel. Vanessa Angel. Yeah, I used to have the hugest crust on her from like her from Weird Science and Kingpin. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I love that show, like uh, Weird Science and Duckman, like that whole block yeah. on USA. God, Duckman! Holy shit, I forgot all about that cartoon. That's great. Oh, dude, I have it. On, I have it on DVD. I have to borrow it sometime. That's the great. whole series on DVD. That's so awesome. Grace Brisky as Grace Poole. The, the woman who runs the foster home that uh, talks to the Simpsons, kind of convinces them into uh, bringing Andy home with them. And another character actress that just pops up in a lot of stuff, famously Armageddon, where uh, she was Dottie, the, the woman that the dude names the uh, meteor after. And she had roles in films like Drop Zone, and I also remember seeing her in um, The Grudge, the first one. But in Twin Peaks as well, she was uh, Sarah Palmer on that. But yeah, another like I said, just someone who just popped up in a lot of stuff. Um, she's got that that face. So, and then the other one that pot that that comes to mind that's in this. Another, I would argue, just as much of a well-known character actress is Beth Grant. It's Miss Kettlewell. Yeah. She's got the cancer. Yeah. She's got the cancer. I would argue she's probably the, like out of the character actors here, I would say she's probably the one I think the most people would probably recognize. Cause I mean, she's just, you're probably right. So much. Yeah. You know, rain man's movies. Yeah. Donnie Darko speed country, obviously. Yep. I think a lot of people would recognize her from speed. Little Miss sunshine. yeah, I mean, it, there's just so much a stuff. Lot. Yeah, she's got a huge filmography, dude. Just look it up. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, I remember, I, I always got enjoyment. She had a guest spot as, like, a bad mom on Malcolm in the Middle. Like, <laughs> I remember from that, like, in the 2000s, she was, like, one of the um, Malcolm's, yeah. like, friend's mom. And she was, like, terrible. But, she, I mean, she was awesome on the show, but she was, like, a terrible, like, controlling mother, I remember. So I, I always remember her from that too. Like she would just randomly pop. Like what was that Nick Cage movie she just did? Well, where she played the police officer. Of oh yeah, Willy's well, Wonderland. Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, that's right. And she had it was a pretty big role for her too. That was yeah, that was. It, there was a surprise twist thrown in there. So uh, yeah, I I love Beth Grant. I mean, uh, she's definitely like the most memorable for me. Which you know we'll get into as we go through. Yeah, and even she's great in this in her short-lived role. Film was directed by John LaFia, who co-wrote the first film. Kind of like um, Kirshner and uh, Mancini. They were part of the crew from the first movie that were brought back to concoct this movie. Uh, speaking of, Down Mancini was the writer of this film. And David Kirshner produced it. Cinematography, I have to acknowledge Stefan Zapsky's just illustrious cinematography in this movie. Um... One of my favorite things about this is the way it looks, the way it's shot. Uh, so many things I'm going to definitely be talking about more in detail as we get down to the plot. But for now, since we're in the appropriate category, I wanted to acknowledge him. And as much as I wanted to acknowledge him, I also wanted to say, what's up to Graham Ravel? Love his score just as much as the, 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 the way the film looks. Uh, they complement one another so well. And, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, uh, had to acknowledge them. Graham Ravel also talked about him on our Dark City episode, because he did the score for that movie as well. So, 
All right, well, let's talk about the production and how this film came to be. So, after the first movie's release, United Artists MGM put out Child's Play. And then Universal, or uh, you know, you know, all right, so let's get to the top. United Artists purchased the script to the original Child's Play partially because UA president Tony Thopolis and, UG, and MGM UA communications chairman Lee Rich believed it had the potential for multiple sequels. The sequel was in pre-production and was set to begin filming on October 15, 1989, when UA president Richard Berger told producer David Kirshner that the film was being put on hold as the studio was about to be acquired, acquired by the Australian group Kintex, whose director Christopher Scase intended to ban the studio from producing horror movies. So let's talk about this Christopher Scase fella. Scase was an Australian businessman who later became one of the country's most wanted fugitives after his business empire plummeted, forcing him to flee to Spain. His company, like I, like I said, Kintex, was worth $1.5 billion in Australia by the late 80s. He owned five resorts as well as interest in the Seven Television Network and the Brisbane Bears Football Club. Dude was Richie Rich, essentially. So, Kintex was in the early stages of purchasing MGM Studios until talks eventually fell through. And after MGM negotiations failed, Scase was forced to sell half of his resorts to Japanese investors in the months that followed, it became clear that Skase and the Kintex group had overextended themselves. He was more than $700 million in debt. He began to parcel up his remaining wealth, including more than $900,000 worth of antiques and furniture. He was then charged with impro improperly using his position to obtain management fees where he, was, he was briefly arrested and spent a night in jail. However, he was subsequently released and allowed to regain his passport for reasons I can't believe. Because what did he do? He plummeted. He, 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 he fucking fled the country. And he remained out of the country until his passing in 2001 from stomach cancer. So, made some bad investments, ran from the law, and, and kind of like pulled on Napoleon and went exiled on an island and died of stomach cancer. So... Got to the film at bay. Without a home, producer David Kirshner shopped the child's play rights to practically every major studio in town. Paramount, Warner Brothers, Columbia Pictures, 20th Century Fox, The Price Company, Carol Go, New Line Cinema, Universal, hell, even Disney expressed interest in picking up the film rights to the series and sequel, with Universal ultimately winning the rights bid after Steven Spielberg, of all people, personally asked David Kirshner to let Universal have the first meeting. Spielberg knew Kirshner from working on An American Tale together, the animated film that Universal co-produced with Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Kirshner was an EP on the film after coming up with the story's concept. Uh, principal photography eventually began on November 6, 1989, just a week before it was supposed to originally, with a $12 million budget. Unlike the first film, which was mostly shot on location in Chicago. Most of this installment was shot on the Universal Studios lot in Universal Studio in Universal City, excuse me, California. Brad Dorff recorded all of his dialogue as Chucky in advance, which allowed his words to match up with his facial movements better than in the first film. So, what they did was they slowed down his dialogue on set, filmed at 18 frames a second instead of the usual 24 for the puppeteers to match the wording to his lips. 
especially with the O's, the P's, and the T's. They did the same method on this, um, or the same method when Tales from the Crypt with the Crypt Keeper uh, puppet. Speaking of, Crypt Keeper creator Kevin Yeager returned to do the special effects and puppetry for this film, and he also directed several scenes of the film himself. However, he had to leave production at some point to begin work on Tales from the Crypt, and if you think that Yeager's pup, uh, Crypt Keeper resembles Chucky in a bizarre fashion, well, look into both of their eyes and then you'll see why, because they had the exact same eyes. There were a total of 11 puppeteers credited in bringing Chucky to life for this film, including Kevin Carlson, Van Snowden, and N. Brock Winkless IV. The crew often compared filming the Chucky scenes to playing an on-set game called Hide the Wires when it came to operating the dial. You know who the stunt coordinator for the film was, Corey? I have no idea. Uh, it was only Dick Warlock, who we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. Halloween 2, Halloween 3, and Puppet Master. Or, nice. uh, I'm sorry, Pumpkinhead all come to mind. They all included conversations about the legendary Dick Warlock. So, um, John LaFia made the decision not to use Chucky actor Ed Gale for Child's Play 2, but eventually he was definitely needed. So then Gale was brought on on standby. He was just, he was on call essentially. In the end, they used him for two shots, one of which was the scene when he's bar- when Chucky's seen burying Tommy in the backyard. Uh, the less we talk about Ed Gale, the better. Uh, just Google him and you'll understand why. The film used seven drafts total, or that's how many drafts that the film went through, seven drafts. Well, most of the movie's sets and interiors were constructed at stage 28 for Universal, also known as the Phantom Stage, due to it being built and used for the filming of 1925's The Phantom of the Opera from Universal Pictures. Uh, they had some non-union car- uh, crew members. They made things difficult for shooting, with people quitting constantly as they were only paid overtime if they worked 70-plus hours instead of the typical 40. Therefore, the International Alliance of theatrical, um, theatrical, Theatrical Stage employees picketed the shoot to demand that the production company stop using non-union employees, with the crew voting to sign a union contract in January of 1990, shortly before filming wrapped up. Uh, Child's Play 2 was also shot at the same time as Universal's Back to the Future Part 3. Alex Vincent would take his lunches to tour the set and even ate lunch with Michael J. Fox one day. And let's see, a few more. Musician Graham Revell, whose only scoring experience was the 1989 film Dead Calm, was hired to compose the music after lying to Universal that he had composed an orchestral composition before. Because he never had he was full of shit they still let him have his job and Shirley Walker was brought on to help conduct as well as orchestrate the score unlike the first film which was used which was scored electronically the music for this movie is completely orchestral because Don Mancini's screenplay was nowhere near screen ready as production was fast in motion the studio had an alternate script in play from writer Mark Carducci who was the writer of Pumpkinhead the year prior Carducci's script would feature a darker approach, with Andy being institutionalized after events of the first film. It had a more gothic and classical feel. Think Hammer, Hammer Horror, Hammer Elements. The um, finale featured a underground tunnel. They had this big universal tunnel or underground tunnel set piece 
that was supposed to be used for the finale with Andy and other patients from the institution escaping through to avoid Chucky. I thought that was really interesting, actually. I just found that out recently. I never knew that before. That yeah. They had two screenplays for this movie. One that was kind of like on backup in case things fell through. So, anyway, let's talk about this movie, shall we? Yep, let's go. All right, so we get that 75th anniversary logo. Anytime I see a movie that has that 75th, you know, the, the it's a very distinctive opening. You have, like, the old school. It kind of goes through all the previous Universal logos before the, having the, 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 the new one. At the time, it was brand new, where it, it was the 3D globe. It went around the Universal logo, and at the top, it says 75th anniversary. And every time I see that, I just, I'm just ready for Graham Ravel's score to crash through. Because we hear that crashing through, and then we get the opening eye, which was actually a fake eye that they used to, um, they used an a lar- enlarged fake eye for the camera to pick up the tension in detail. You were, you were never going to get a look like that using the doll's eye. So this opening, it's, it's PlayPal Toys, the makers of the Chucky doll. They're trying to save face and assure their investors that they didn't have any role in the Andy Barkley Chucky incident from the first film, which in real time, it was two years ago since this happened, I, I believe, or two years from the first movie in this one. So to do this, they they had the doll reconstructed, the actual doll that Andy Barkley had. They, <laughs> they reconstructed the whole thing from scratch. Good morning, Mr. Sullivan. I have a meeting in a few minutes with some very jittery stockholders, Max. I hope you have good news for me. Yes, sir. I do, sir. Every supermarket tabloid in the country is running headlines about Andy Barkley and his killer good guy doll. What about his mother and the police that were on the case? The police were smart. They denied everything, which is fine because now they can't hurt us, but the mother's a different matter. She backed up her boy's story in court, so now she's under psychiatric observation. Where's the boy now? Midtown Children's Crisis Center. Foster custody's pending. My stomach hurts, Matson. Is this what you call good news? Uh, yes, no, I'm getting to that, sir. Uh, uh, our biggest problem has been the rumors. A lot, Sullivan? A lot of people are saying that some joker here at the company must have tampered with the doll's voice cassette, you know. Uh, Hi, I'm Chucky. I'm the Lakeshore Strangler. Now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Something like well, something like that. <clears throat> but the good news, Mr. Sullivan, is that now we've got the doll. We've rebuilt it from head to toe. A lot of it was burned to a crisp, but everything checks out. The voice cassette, the servo mechanisms, we found absolutely nothing. This is a quality control report. I'm sure it'll make the stockholders very happy. I want to see the doll for myself. Absolutely. Gentlemen, Mr. Sullivan's here. We ready? Well, give us a minute. We're not used to making them manually. And it's funny, too, because I made a note of this. It's missing the eye on the wrong side. In Child's Play 1, Chucky lost his left eye. And in this one, his right eye is missing. So. Yeah, I, I just, like, it's a cool opening, like, seeing him be rebuilt. But, like, you know, practicality-wise, I'm <laughs> like, why would they even, like, do this? There'd be no way. He would be, like in a storage locker somewhere at a police station. But uh, I, I I do like the whole visual of him being like, you know, scraped and rebuilt. I, I, it is pretty cool. I think it's so effective. Yeah. Like, 
nothing made me cre- feel feel uneasy more when I was watching this at age five or six than just seeing the doll put back together from scratch. Like you knew everything Andy went through at the end of the first movie, and now it's like, here we go. This company is just gonna fuck it all up and put it back together. Yeah. Because they want to impress some investors and shit. And they want to save face, you know. And that's where we follow the CEO, Mr. Sullivan. He's, uh, we see, we, that the opening is intercutting from Chucky Construction to this limousine driving around in Chicago. Back to Chucky, back to this limousine going through Chicago. And they filmed all this Chicago stuff after production wrapped. It was a second unit crew. Who went out to Chicago because they filmed this film primarily in California, and they had the, the second unit go out to Chicago for these pickup shots to make it authentic in the beginning. Matter of fact, the exterior of PlayPal Toys is really a sanitation management company in Long Beach. And then when they get there, and you see the Sullivan character walking through the hall with his associate Madison, and we get a cameo from Dom Mancini behind them he's walk he's pretty much behind them for like the entire shot he's he's wearing this um this white he's like a white collar guy with this like tie and everything and his he's got his curly hair he's you can see his glimmering curls just shining through that 4k i was watching it on it was great and we keep seeing these like various pictures of chucky in, in various costumes and stuff throughout the hallway and when they're construct, when they're bringing Chucky back, all these shots that we're seeing, it's actually Kevin Yeager's hands that are constructing, you know, the dial, putting it together. I mean, because of course, it's it. He knows what he's doing. It's his dial. It's his creation. So it makes sense that he does it on camera. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a sucker for Frankenstein and this whole inspired resurrection from Frankenstein. I just think it's great. It's universal, so it makes sense. I, I think that's just a coincidence. I don't think they were really intended on, you know, universal being the... You know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I agree, though. I liked, I liked the whole, you know, eye thing and then the electric. I, I think it's a good way to bring them back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hold all questions, as Sean used to always say, and just enjoy it for what it is. And that's exactly what I do every time I watch yeah. this watching a killer fucking doll movie exactly like, you exactly. really gonna get that bad about it so one of the workers ends up eating it he's like trying to see you know the old school method of just beating on something and eventually it'll start it'll 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 fix itself kind of like playing nintendo you just blow on the cartridge it'll work itself so this guy's just beating on the uh the eye machine because they're trying to they're doing the buy he they even make a reference um that they're not used to doing this by hand. And they got this machine that inserts the eyes. And when it kind of like fails on them. He's like. He's kind of like beating on it. And then all of a sudden like. He gets electrocuted. Makes no fucking sense. You know. But yeah. for you know all, all intents and purposes. I'll take it. So this guy gets electrocuted. Thrown 30 feet through this fucking uh, two way mirror. And Sullivan, the uh, CEO, tells Madison to smother this or else it's his job. You know, can't let the press get a hold of this bullshit, this fuckery that's going on. Um, 
We didn't talk about Greg German, who plays Madsen. Speaking of television actors. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. single episode of Ally McBeal. Also from... No, it wasn't on ER. He was on Grey's Anatomy. That was the uh, hospital show he was from. Yeah, I never watched that show, but yeah, he's definitely like a well-known uh, TV actor. Like, I, I think anybody watching this uh, that's watched a decent amount of TV be like, oh, yeah, I recognize him. <laughs> yeah, didn't have the biggest... Uh, movie career but definitely when it came to television he uh got his face out there so um as a matter of fact i think the only other movie besides this that was uh, a theatrical film was that i remember him from was brick that uh, talladega nights maybe yeah nothing else comes to mind yeah i'm not sure i i just remember him from various tv spots like that's that's really it yeah well in this film, he's the CEO of Sullivan's Lackey. Um, some other people that were considered for cast uh, for the role. Uh, character actor Miguel Ferrer, who we talked about on Blank Check, as well as Stephen Lee from the film Dolls. Willard E. Pugh, who we bring up in our RoboCop 2 episode that one of these days, one of these days you guys are going to hear that episode. Um, speaking of RoboCop 2, Mark Ralston. John, all these RoboCop 2 people, John Glover, and yeah. of course, it wouldn't be a horror movie if Ted Raimi weren't considered for a role. Yeah, those were the alternate um, cast and choice for uh, Madsen. Andy Barclay's now, what'd you say? I could see all those. Yeah, me too, especially Ted. Andy's now eight years old, and he's now we see him playing Go Fish with his social worker. And he's telling his uh, social worker about the nightmares he's having in the form of Chucky. Um, meanwhile, we see Phil and Joanne Simpson, this a couple that's interested in adopting him, perhaps. And they, they take a lot of, you know, children and need him. Like they have Kyle, who will eventually meet, uh, is currently there. And yeah, that's, that's what they do. And they make, they make you know, references to other, other kids who have come and went throughout their household. Um, so yeah, they're interested in Andy potentially, uh, Joanne definitely, but Phil, eh, he's, he's not really feeling easy after this, this, this whole situation with his mother and killer dial. So, uh, speaking of Phil, his uh, alternate cast members for, for the Phil Simpson role, Jeffrey Jones, Tim Matheson, and Charles Grodin. I can't see Groden being in this movie. I really can't. Because he was... No. You know, I, he was coming off of Midnight Run. And then after yeah. this, he was in the uh, the Beethoven series, or at least the first two films. I just can't see him being this character in this movie. You know? Nah. Nah, I couldn't see that either. <laughs> I mean, Tim Matheson, yeah. Jeffrey Jones, definitely. But, I don't know. There's something about Charles Groden. Uh, I, I just can't see it. Uh... Some other actresses considered for Joanne, um, Veronica, oh, just one that I could that I could find, Veronica Cartwright. We talked about her in Alien. She's also in a film called Money Talks with Charlie Sheen and Chris Tucker, but yeah. Um, so they're talking with Grace Poole, the Grace Brisky actor or a character about Andy, she's letting him know about, you know, what happened, and this is when we see Phil, like, just not fully being on board with the adoption process just yet, um, 
Grace Poole, some other actresses considered for her were Karen Black and Mary Steenburgen, who is also in Back to the Future Part 3 that was currently filming at the same time as this. Huh. Um, another actress, I can't see it. Uh, Karen Black, definitely. Karen Black, this is like, this is her bread and butter. This is horror, you know. But Mary Steenburgen, I can't think of a single horror movie she's ever been in. Yeah, and to be this character, I mean, she was just coming off of Parenthood, which was another Universal movie with Steve Martin. And like I said, she was currently filming Back to the Future Part 3. I just don't think that she would have given this this film the time of day. That, that's just yeah. me, though. So the car ride home, they end up adopting Andy. And they're driving home from the shelter, and they're getting to know Andy. You know, what's he like? You know, he likes to eat. He likes to eat eggs. You know, we learn things about Andy or that the, the, the Simpsons are finding out. And Phil almost crashes into a PlayPal truck. It almost kills Andy. They're not even an hour after taking him home and he's almost, you know, on the verge of de- uh, dying. But it's nice to know that they shop organic. So I don't know about you, but I picked up on that when Joanne says, oh, we have to stop at the market for organic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was, uh, like, definitely ahead of the curve. Oh, I yeah. don't think organic was as much of a thing back in, like, 1990. No, 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 no. It was, like, very seldom. But, yeah. yeah. So, we enter the Simpson home for the first time. Now, this is when we start seeing a lot of low-angled, close-up, like, not zoomed in, but almost like a fisheye lens style of shot. Wide lens, deep focuses, low angles, that kind of thing. Um, and that's one of the things I love most about this movie. Reason for it is there's a couple reasons. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's actually all one reason. Uh, it's John Lafia's love for Orson Welles' uh, Touch of Evil. It's why it's shot like that. Um, done to make it look like you're viewing the film through the eyes of an eight year old. It's like an Alice in Wonderland inspired perspective of a child's play film back when the series still cared about being scary more than anything else. I love it. It's like I said, one of the things I love the most about this movie is the way it looks, the way it's shot. Yeah. And it's something I didn't appreciate until I was at an older age either. It never really dawned on me that the film was shot like that. Did you ever notice that? Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of did. Like I, you know, it, it's not something I necessarily would have picked out, but I always really appreciated it. It, You know, it's just one of those subtle things, you know, when I was younger, I definitely noticed, but, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, verbalize it as to why I liked it or what I was noticing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I always really appreciated the way the movie was shot. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about the entire thing. So Andy enters Kyle's room unannounced. And again, we see this all through a wide angled lens. Jesus. Did you ever hear it knocking? Andy, did you find... What? Are you crazy? Give them to me. Phil will shoot you if he catches you again. Andy, this is Kyle. She's staying with us, too. Charmed. Kyle, what is this? You've been here three weeks. Why haven't you unpacked? What for? I've never spent more than a month in any home. With that attitude, I can see why. Come on, put these things away, and then would you do me a favor and help me get dinner started? Can't. Gotta work tonight. 
Kyle, that's the third night in a row. I'd really like it if you'd spend a little time with the family. I need the money. I'm going to be on my own next year. Yes, well, until then, you're with us, okay? Come on, Andy. Bye. I think you'll be very happy here. Joanne, she comes in. Um, apparently, she cares more about family time than Kyle working and earning money for herself. Kyle's like, I gotta work. And she's like, that's the third time this week. I'm like, Jesus, times have changed. Um, the the hat, though, I gotta acknowledge the hat that Kyle's wearing. It's actually uh, Christina Lee's real hat. and she It's her lucky hat, she calls it. And she's also wearing the same hat on one of the episodes of 90210. In an episode of 21 Jump Street that she did, she's wearing that hat. And like I said, when we see... Actually, when she pops up in Cult of Chucky, she's wearing the hat. So, huh. same hat. It's hers. Um, other actresses considered for the role of Kyle were Shannon Doherty, who at that point hadn't starred in a movie, I think, other than Heather's. She was in Heather's, and that was it. Because I don't think she was in Mallrats, but that wasn't like until '95. What do I know? Um, so yeah, she was considered. So was um, Holly Marie Combs, who we talked about in our Doctor Giggles episode. Mary Stewart Masterson, who I know we've never talked about, and Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson has horror ties. She's the one actress I can see in this role more than anybody else. Actually, that w- that would have been pretty cool. Nothing against Christina Lee's. I'm glad she's the one who ended up with the role at the end of the day. But just a version of Christy Swanson, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that'd be cool as shit. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that tie would be pretty awesome. Like, you got Buffy and Chucky the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, because this is before Buffy, obviously. But I remember her. I knew of her before um, or when this film came out because she was she, she pops up in like one throwaway scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And she's also in... Um, Deadly Friend, which underrated, question mark-ish, Wes Craven film. It's got that infamous scene of a basketball being thrown at somebody's head. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I remember for that movie. It's goofy. I actually picked it up a, while, a few years ago when Screen Factory put out the Blu-ray, and I hadn't seen it since the Nightmare Theater days. And, like, it's got a theme song, man. It's wild. It is fucking wild. I'll let you hold on to it next time I see you. It, it's it's crazy. <laughs> um, let's see here. So Andy goes to his new room. He just he's in like a pig and shit right now. He loves everything until he doesn't. Uh, Joanne tells Andy though in this scene that she made the curtains just for him, which she says I'm. She's like I guess blue was your favorite color, which is funny to me because. You know, just a couple hours ago, they were being told about Andy for the first time and still hadn't made up their minds about taking him home. So, how did you spend weeks working on those curtains again, Joanne? Not quite buying your bullshit story you're telling Andy. <laughs> you can fool Andy, but you can't fool us. Whatever kid came back, he's like, I made it for you. <laughs> exactly. The kid of the week. I made it for you. Just you. I thought blue would be your favorite color because, gee, you're a boy. So, just because we're males, we have to always assume that blue is our favorite color. I mean, it's my favorite color, but you don't know that. Uh, Andy's enthralled with all these new toys up until the good guy doll falls from the top of the closet and fucks everything up. This doll named Tommy. 
So, uh, cut to Madsen. He's going home for the night. <clears throat> Got this doll that they just constructed. And for a, for an exec, for a grown-ass man, for someone who's apparently running around on two different women, he's got an odd number, odd number of toys in his car, don't you think? His trunk is filled at a brim with toys. Like yeah, you can't even it, get it, it in the front trunk because there's so many toys. And then he just throws them in the back seat, which, again, it's a fucking mountain of toys. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Like, I mean, I guess I get it. Like, they're, like, is a guy who works at a toy um, company, but, yeah. Would you really have that stuff in your car? <laughs> no, probably oh, No. And then when we see in the, in the in part three, the next film, because the CEO comes back in the opening scene and, and gets his, you know, finally, he does, he does die, but you gotta wait to see Child's Play 3 first. And if you remember, he's got that, you know, that, um, that office that the building not office but he's got that high rise he lives in and it's just toys everywhere like this is a bachelor we're talking about and his fucking place is fucking just toys everywhere he's got he's got a goddamn choo-choo train track running across the ceiling in that movie it's crazy all these play pal executives like is that part of like <laughs> you can only work here if you're highly fascinated with toys yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, just it's just the oversimplifications. Like, ah, oh, they work at a toys uh, they must, toy right. companies. So that's all they have is toys. I mean, I, I didn't mean to go on this five minute rant about fucking grown ups and toys, but I don't know. It's just funny. Uh, so yeah, the things we know about this girl that uh, Matt is running around with, um, he knows what Baka does to her. Uh, he he goes to pick some up because it's their three week anniversary. And, uh, yeah, liquor store from 1990 doesn't take credit, cash only. So, while he's in there arguing with the guy about crash versus, cash versus credit, Chucky's in the car using his cell phone, and he calls Grace, Grace Poole at the orphan home, looking for Andy as his Uncle Charles. She tells him that Andy's gone, that he's someone else's problem now, and Matsy comes back to the car, Chucky eventually reveals himself, although he doesn't. He's kind of like, act, he's acting like he's a like a like a mugger or something from the back seat because he doesn't let him see who he really is, and he's got a water gun pushed up to, against his face, but it's actual. He's playing it off like it's a real gun because Madsen's not supposed to know the difference. And he forces him to take him past Andy's new home, and then he takes him to the park. <laughs> I love this line. Now park this piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, some of the stuff that Chucky says in this movie is funny as hell, I gotta say. Yeah, I always laugh. <laughs> just, it's just Brad Dorf's delivery, too. <laughs> and apparently, so a lot of the information I got from this movie was from that book, Reign of Chucky, that um, Kevin Gardner, not Kevin Gardner, um, Tony Gardner, the, yeah, uh, Tony Gardner, who, who does, who took over for Kevin Yeager, his daughter did a, a retrospective on the entire series, and um, no, that was living with Chucky, because it was kind of like a situation where this retrospective book came out called Reign of Chucky, and then not long after that, the actual retro, like in the form of like a like a full length feature, done by Tony Gardner's daughter, called living with Chucky 
uh, came out. They kind of like were timed. They come out around the same time. You know what I'm saying? So I get them confused. Sorry about that. But anyway, um, the book, Reign of Chucky, is where I got a lot of my information from. One of those useless facts of information this scene where we see Madsen parking the car in the park with the crane shot. They shot that 19 times because of John LaFia's perfectionism. And because of that, John had to be sat down by Universal Execs because of his uh, perfectionist mentality. They were falling way behind schedule because of this. Don't move! Jesus! God, okay, what? Well, okay, what, what do you want? No questions, just drive. Okay, okay. Keep going. Shoot! Look, I, 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 I don't carry cash. I got, I got a gold card. I, I'll give you anything you want. Tell me what you Please, want. Please, asshole. But, but, take my, take the car, and you can drop me off. But just please leave me alone. Please. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> So he suffocates Madsen. Um, we get the iconic Chucky laugh because he's fucking with him. He, he goes bang and it's, it's a water gun. So they share a laugh together before, you know, this plastic bag gets wrapped around his head and he suffocates to the death. Because, you know, Charles Lee Ray's the Lakeshore Strangler. So he's got to strangle somebody naturally. Um, you know, this, this scene was always whatever for me. I don't have many memories of this death scene, sorry. Uh, although, the, what follows, I definitely do. This POV shot out in the storm of Chucky running up the front door, it still freaks me out. It's a very effective shot. It's just one of those classic, out the whole storm aesthetic at night. I don't know. This whole sequence here is still is, is um, creepy. And then yeah. he runs up to Andy's house, and Joanne, she's... She reads Andy a story, and then Andy wants to sort of sing, because that's what Karen, his mom, used to do at bedtime, was sing to him. So she's singing him a song. And this this shot is so incredible. We get this lingering shot going from Andy's room. It goes down the stairs. And again, it's nighttime, lights are out, stormy weather, thunderstorms, flashes of lightning, and fucking Chucky at the bottom of this step. This, 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 dude, I'm just even describing it right now is like making me feel a little, is making me feel something. It just, and like I said, the lightning effect makes it so much more effective. Something about that. And what follows it up though is a pretty funny moment because you just see Chucky just go, shit. 
and he turns, and somehow fucking Tommy's right there next to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always really enjoyed that. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> I like seeing the two. He starts talking, and he's like, "Shut up, you idiot!" And he knocks him down, and he's like, "I like to be hugged. I like to be hugged." So fucking Chucky takes one of uh, uh Joanne's knickknacks and and breaks his face in with it. So yeah, these knickknacks, I forgot to mention, when they first come home from picking Andy up, he like picks up one of these knickknacks and Phil stops him and he's like, rule number one, he got a bunch of rules for the house. Rule number one was no touching Joanne stuff. So of course, Chucky breaks this thing over her, over this Tommy doll's head and <laughs> can we get the line, hug this. And yeah. We and then what follows this is is the shot of Chucky out back in the stormy weather. Again, this is Ed Gale because uh, it, it's it's a shot from overhead, and he's burying Tommy. Um, yeah, creepy shot. This whole entire sequence here is just creepy. It's still affected to this day. And then the next morning, Phil wants to know who the fuck broke Joanne's statue. <laughs> Because didn't they yeah. know her great-grandmother gave it to her? And, you know, Phil grounds both of them. Because neither of them are, like, confessing. They're both like, what the fuck? Because that's what I'd be doing, too. I'd be like, you son of a bitch. You're new. You come in here, and all of a sudden, Karen or uh, Joanne's shit's broken. Like, of course, you're a public enemy number one. But now, Andy's pulling the denial card, and... What happens? They get grounded. So, it must be the weekend... Because instead of going to school, they're in the laundry room together. We get this moment with Kyle and Andy that I, I really like because it's just developing moments between them two. And I just know of what they will become later on in this series. And I don't know about you, but Kyle and Andy just feel like a legitimate brother and sister. Yeah, they, I mean, they definitely do. It's like the yeah. chemistry there. I, I don't know what it is exactly. I guess it's just down to the two actors together but yeah i mean they totally feel like a family yeah, yeah. like an adopted family and that I, I don't know yeah it's just very well done between the two actors and that chemistry is still there in the chucky series too so because when they eventually are brought back um they're together naturally and it's just it feels right you know so they haven't missed a beat and they do a lot of cons together. I do know they travel a lot to these these cons to and from. They're like, when I talk to Christina Lee, at least from her perspective, like she talks, she speaks of Alex like he is her brother. So I know there's a real legit relationship, and maybe that's why they feel so close because I know they are so close. So 
Yeah. Um, and I just love this scene. Like I said, like starts off with Andy trying to be like funny, kind of like break the ice a little. It's like, hey, want to hear me say your name backwards? And he just turns around and says, Kyle. And it's a funny joke that for years I didn't get. I'm like, what's he doing? What is this? And, like, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, Kyle backwards. He's turning backwards. Okay. And then she asks him to hold her cigarette. And he smokes it like a fucking G. <laughs> of course, he chokes one as soon as he starts inhaling. And Andy goes upstairs to kind of like spy on Joanne and, and Phil. And we get this split diopter shot. It's awesome. I love split diopter shots. And he's just listening to him. Phil's expressing doubts about even being able to, you know, like, are we even fit to take care of someone like Andy? Like he says, he broke our knickknacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's just like all this shit over a knickknack. Like he says, maybe put him with someone who can give him more attention that he deserves. And Joanne responds with, I, I kind of like him. So I made him curtains. Yeah, I made him. I made him the curtains. He loves them. So what follows is Andy confronting Tommy out in the other room. He's like, I hate you. And then he checks the batteries to see if it's truly who he's supposed to be. And I love when Chucky hesitates, remembering Tommy's name at first. Yeah, that is a, such a little did you, thing. Did you pick up on that? It. He's like, hi, yeah. I'm Tommy. Yeah, I, I always got a good laugh. Even as a young kid, I picked that up and I always got a good laugh. It's just like a little subtle touch. And, you know, just real quick, I got to say, like, yeah, sure. you know, the foster parents are, like, awesome. But how can you have that fucking doll in the house? Like, if you're going to have one thing not in the house. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you had one job, doll. literally. Like, all right, we have a bunch of toys. Let's make sure there's no good guy doll. And <laughs> sure enough, it's in there. I know. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the battery. Text the batteries and... The battery size have changed. Another, yeah, co- another it, continuity thing, because in the first film, it was D, and this one yeah, it's size the big C. Batteries. Yeah, but I will say though, it's a good callback because I mean, everybody that's a fan of the original. Oh, it's a great callback. You know, that's that's one of the best uh, scenes. Like oh. when you see the no batteries, that's like you know one of the most iconic parts. So the fact that it calls back to it here uh, is really good. It's like there's like I said, there's so many little attention to detail nods like yeah yeah like you just said with chucky like not remembering the name like it's just stuff like that it's definitely a lot of thought and care went into like for what could be a throwaway right sequel you're exactly right so andy and kyle are in the backyard and andy's asking kyle about her real parents and whether she remembers them and meanwhile chucky is freaking out over tommy being exposed because they, of all the places in the yard, I know why he did it. He buried Tommy underneath the, the tree swing that they have in the back. But where else are you going to have fresh dirt to make it look like, you know, they'll not look like something was freshly buried. So Chucky's like, his eyes start to get all wide and shit. He's like, oh, they better not see it. Because eventually, you know, it's going to be exposed, which we'll get there. But... It's the great shot, like the close-up of him, just his eyes getting bigger. He's like about to panic. And just Andy goes back to pick him up. That before dinner is another great low angled shot that I'm I'm a big big fan of. 
A lot of great shots in this movie. God damn. Speaking of great shots, this one of Chucky coming to life when Andy's asleep has always been one of my personal favorites. Because it pans around his room. And it's nighttime again. Lights are out. Andy's sleeping. Phil is in her room sewing. Phil's doing what Phil does. Bitching about the kids. And this camera pans over to Chucky. And like he just all of a sudden comes to life. And it's a great shot. And <laughs> I had to make a note of this. Because when we cut to Joanne and, and Phil in the bedroom. Joanne mentions that. She wanted to get Andy something to make him feel better. And she's like, what do you suggest I get him? And he, he responds with a volume. <laughs> I actually spit <laughs> out my soda when I heard him say that. It was funny as shit. Yeah. <laughs> she just goes, yeah, volume. <laughs> yeah, good idea. <laughs> so Chucky reveals himself to Andy with Andy all tied up. He's all hogtied and... I don't know. I made a note to this. Andy's not acting scared enough. Or I should say rather Alex Vincent is not acting scared enough. Like he's supposed to be going through all this PTSD bullshit. But he's just sitting here or laying here squirming with this fucking sock in his mouth. And it's kind of goofy. Um, yeah. And I've yeah, always felt say, that uh, way to be fair. Yeah. It's just like he kind of like expected it. Like oh uh, yeah it's about time he showed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he should be in panic here. mode right now, and you know, but it's, he's not, and it's just, it's always throwing me off. Uh, Kyle comes in, luckily, save the day, through the window, you know, just goddamn teens, sneaking in and out. And she unties Andy, and Andy, like, punches Chucky off the bed. So Phil comes in and tosses Chucky down the basement stairs. Before he tosses Chucky down the stairs, though, like, he actually believes for a second that, like, Kyle, like, tied Andy up. But if you're Kyle, what do you think? Like, who the fuck tied Andy up, really, if you're Kyle? Like, do you start to believe that maybe the doll did it? Or do you think Andy's just that damn good he can tie himself up all four limbs? Yeah, he's like Harry fucking Houdini. <laughs> right, like, right. He, he can tie himself up. Yeah, I always question that, too. I'm like, I, I don't know what she was thinking there like i yeah i'd be like damn what happened like somebody tied you i, I either that or i would assume the step one of the step parents did it and i was like oh man and they're I, into some kinky shit or something i love her reaction to phil she's like phil come on yeah no <laughs> oh, it's great so like i said you takes kyle down not kyle andy down with him to show him he throws chucky down the stairs dude another thing i love this transition shot from the light to dark when chucky's you know, on the at the bottom of the of the stairs, when Phil closes the door, and you see that it's actually happening on set. They change the lighting in the same shot. Chucky's revealed to have a nosebleed. He's turning human again. Um. Meanwhile, next morning, Andy's first day of school with a whole new class. Kyle doesn't believe Andy's. While she doesn't believe Andy about what happened while they're talking. And they're walking to school together. And when the bus goes away, there's this shot of Chucky's legs at the bottom, like kicking. <laughs> yeah, dangling. Yeah. Oh, he's going to chuckle out of that. You just see his legs dangling. Yeah. Because we actually see. How familiar are you with the TV cut of this movie? I mean, I've definitely seen it because, you know, I used to watch it all the time, but yeah. I don't remember it distinctly. Okay, I do. 
because I watched it on USA so much growing up because it was always oh, on. Yeah. And before this, before this scene, after I think it's it's the morning of I think it's before we see Kyle and Andy even walk into the bus together. We see Phil and um, Joanne walk outside, and she's kind of like you know saying you know goodbye to her husband while he goes to work. Um, and then it cuts the camera pans down to the side of the house to where the basement is or would be. And you see that the uh, the basement window was pried open. And that's how Chucky got out. Huh. So, yeah, there's some cool stuff in the TV cut that I'll never understand to this day. Like, why? How? Like, I know when Scream Factory did their collector's editions for both of these movies, because there's, there's a TV cut of part three as well. Because when they both were shown on the USA Network, they had all these new scenes thrown in that I always thought was just the coolest thing. But... To this day, there's not been a, a high-definition version. Like, you would think Scream Factory would have, you know, been gotten the okay from Universal to at least do some sort of restoration on the, the footage and, and incorporate it into the movie. But no. When these collector's editions, they threw the scenes in there, but it's an old VHS rip from somebody that they got off of YouTube how do I know this? Because I've seen the exact same rip on YouTube. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some cool stuff. And uh, when we get to the trivia, I'll, I'll break it down because I have them all written out as to, to what is, is uh, missing. Because there's some really cool stuff that, you know, more should see. Um, where are we at now? So, yeah, school. We're at school now. We get... Uh, more close-up shots during recess with Andy bouncing this red ball off the fence. And meanwhile, Chucky's doing some grading of his own. And yeah, he I, I assume that it's like a pop quiz or something that he just takes like red ink and writes fuck you on Andy's report. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Like of all things you gotta write, like why would you just write fuck you? <laughs> like why because he's a second grader like okay and I don't know I always thought it was hilarious <laughs> as a kid well we do know one thing from these l- little amount of shots that we've gotten of Andy in school so far is he has a bully we see this kid on the bus at first he like pushes Andy as he's trying to find a seat to sit down like he's Forrest Gump can't sit here and now while the this Kettlewell is reading Pinocchio to the class, this little fucker flicks the back of it Andy's ear, and Andy turns around and says, Get lost, microchip! Which, to this day, I still don't know what the fuck that even means. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> and this, of course, in at school, the bell rings, class is over, dismissed, whatever. Miss Kettlewell, as soon as the bell rings, the kids go to get their bags and leave. She beelines at her desk to grade these goddamn quizzes so she can get out of that damn class herself. And that's when she sees Andy's paper at the top. It says, fuck you. And I can't believe she literally locks him inside the classroom to go call his parents. Like, you better pray there isn't a fire that starts because holy shit. Like, this is definitely a different time. Yeah, it is. I could see it happening back then. You can? Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. All right. Not nowadays, no. 
But what happens next? Fucking great. I'd argue it's probably one of the most well-remembered scenes of this movie. Is this uh, peekaboo look that yeah, Andy's like slowly approaching the door of the closet because she tosses Chucky into the closet because she asks. He says, "I didn't." All right, let me back up from the top. She confronts Andy about the paper that says "fuck you," and at the same time she approaches him. He opens up a cubby, and Chucky's there, and he backs up and he backs up in the kettlebell, and she's like, "Did you write this?" Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I didn't. And she's like, who did? And he looks over the dial and she's like, don't even think about it. And that's what prompts her to lock him in the classroom while he calls home or she calls home. And she throws Chucky before she leaves the classroom into the closet and locks that up. So when Andy approaches the door, got this creepy toy music playing. And he's peeking through the, the, the keyhole like he's actually going to find something because it's dark in there. And yeah. we get the peekaboo shot, which is one of the most iconic shots in this movie. Peekaboo! And it scares him away. He's fucking freaking out. And the whole time, he's like, in court, we hear Chucky like, please, Andy, I was always choking. Now let me the yeah, fuck out of here. I know. I love when he's talking to him through the door. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, And then Miss Kettlewell comes back. And she, so much about this scene to talk about. Where to begin? So she goes, She Andy's obviously gone. And she's still, Chucky is still fighting with the door to get out as she comes back to the classroom. So she hears that commotion. So she goes, to back, she goes into the closet thinking that Andy locked himself in there. Which, why he would do that doesn't make sense. But okay. So she's, she goes and she's like, Starts in the closet. Really effective scene. It really is. And eventually she goes to put this ball bat that falls. And that's when Chucky reveals himself. And. This is actually. This is a common misconception. It's not the what follows that kills her. Because it's this yardstick. It's just like. One of the most iconic deaths in this franchise. If you want to count this the actual kill. To her. But I would argue an autopsy reveal. Another different cause of death but would you say the yardstick death is the most if not one of the most iconic death scenes of this franchise Andy I told you to stay in your seat come out of there open this door right now Andy come out this very second Andy Andy
I mean, it definitely is. I mean, everybody remembers, like, Chucky walking out with the this, yardstick. That you've been and then, very naughty, Miss Kettlewell. Yeah, I mean, everybody remembers yeah. that. It's just a great shot of him. The music, like, everything goes together so well for this particular moment of the movie. Yeah, but I, I mean, so it's my personal favorite. Same. But, I mean, I, yeah, I... I, I couldn't argue it in another way. Yeah, th- this one is definitely probably the most iconic. And gotta love HD because now you can see it when every because every time you, you see the stick go down, the camera pulls back further and further. And yes, even the furthest point that we see before it cuts away completely, the stick is still swinging and it's still there. I think that's cool as shit. Um. Because back in the day, VHS, you, you wouldn't be able to see that shit. Now, now that things are clear and are watching ways that you can definitely still see the, st- the stick coming down from the furthest point back. Um, What was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah. The, what, what actually kills her is the air pump, obviously. She's going to have a goddamn aneurysm. Oh, yeah. Because he, yeah, he, like, yeah, I... he pumps, you know, air into her blood. Just, it's... That that that's what that's what's gonna do it, not the yardstick. Um. So Phil, we're back home again, and Phil's another day, another lecture, lecturing Andy again about Chucky. And this leads him to force Andy to open up the basement door now and tell him what he sees. Chucky has since returned, since offing Miss Kettlewell, so he's there. And I just like that. Open it. <laughs> He's telling Andy to get the door open for him. Um, that night, Andy feel uh, Andy hears Phil yelling to Joanne about wanting to give Andy back to the shelter as he's says he's tearing the family apart. And Kyle comes in to assure Andy that it's gonna be fine. Everything is just gonna be okay, man. Based on personal experiences, she tells him that being bounced around from house to house will only make things stronger because he can continue to be reminded that he can only count on himself. Or something like that. And Andy goes after Chucky now in the basement. He's just going to fight this situation once and for all with the turkey carver. (laughs) Yeah, I always appreciated the turkey carver. (laughs) And again, low angles wide shots uh it, it this it's all effective baby um and it it does a good job of, of of making you feel uneasy especially if it's your first time watching it i know i was uneasy watching this for the first time in your basement like you don't know where chucky is he's gone but you know he's down there somewhere and he eventually reveals himself and yeah this is when uh, the fight. This is kind of like where I look at the film as like the beginning to the end, because like every uh, right. as soon as this piece, this this moment happens, we're just aiming for the third act now. So Phil's death is what follows. What the hell's going on, down? Andy, put down the knife. But I need it for. Just put the knife down, and we'll talk about it. Everything is going to be just fine. 
How's it hanging, Phil? How's it hanging, Phil? Yeah, love the line, yep. <laughs> Great line. And this leads to Joanne just fucking, she's done with Andy. Her husband's now dead. She saw Andy with the body, so she's checked out. Kyle, he still got Kyle, you know, believing in him a little bit, but for the most part, you know, Joanne's out. She's out on Andy. Get away from me. You scare the hell out of me is what she tells him to be exact. So Grace Poole comes back to take Andy back to the shelter. Um, Police finish up with their work. They take the body away. And now it's just Kyle and Joanne in the house alone with Chucky. So uh, starting with jo- uh, Kyle. Kyle actually finds Tommy. She's having a late night cigarette before bed. I guess, and she's kicking around dirt on the swing, and the, uh, the the front of Tommy's shoe pokes out, and so she reaches down and proceeds to pull the entire doll out. So now, as soon as she does, as soon as she discovers this, we see we hear the uh, this bang from upstairs, and she turns around and she approaches the uh, trash can. Because she threw Chucky away. That's right. She comes outside for the cigarette. She throws Chucky into the trash can. And when she goes back to the trash can, Chucky is gone. Wouldn't you believe it? He's gone. Here's a thud from upstairs coming from Joanne's room. So she goes to investigate. And now it's Kyle versus Chucky in the bedroom. Yeah, it's it's enough. She does enough damage to Chucky for him to go, Bitch, you hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of like... becoming human still. He's like Freddy. He loves saying bitch. And there are moments where it's effective and there's moments where it's eye-rolling. Bitch, you hurt me. Is effective. So, I always thought... I guess this was a common misconception by me and me only. I always thought that we saw Joanne's death scene. It was filmed and everything. They just cut it. Nope. No such thing's ever been shot before. Her death scene's always been off-screen, sadly. I just think there was, there's, I mean, just spitballing ideas. I mean, there's an idea there that I think is effective with her at the edge of the window or at in front of the window doing the sewing or whatever she's doing, whatever project she's working on this week. And Chucky just appears. And I mean, it looks like he strangled her and slit her throat because of blood wrapped around her neck. I don't know. I always thought that there was a death scene filmed. I was wrong. Uh, so Chucky forces Kyle to take him to Andy now because, well, she can drive and he can't. And they get pulled over by a cop played by uh, Matt Rowe from Puppet Master. Uh, the first oh, one. Oh, okay. He's one of the four I psychics. I didn't even think about that. Yep. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, he passed away. I want to say 20 years ago he passed or something. He had... Uh, I, I think everybody had brain cancer. It's very tragic. I just remember, you know, you get pulled over, the cop asks about Chucky. He's like, what's up with the doll? And <laughs> Kyle's response like, this one bleeds. Piss, he's just she's like, you see the doll's a piss and shit? This one bleeds. Like, <laughs> I love that line. Behave 
yourself. Kill you if I have to. Okay, honey, let's see your license. Your clock is 60 and a 45. What's your hurry? I have a date. You're gonna have to do better than that. That's one of those good guys, isn't it? Yes, it is. I love these things. What's your name, buddy? Chucky. <laughs> That's incredible. I'll say. What the hell is that? You've seen dolls that pee? This one bleeds. <laughs> Okay, look, uh, just slow it down, huh? And, uh, buckle up for safety. Now get going. My favorite part of this entire... Okay, it's a good one, but my favorite part of the entire movement is when he's like, Hey, guy, hey, Pat, what's your name? And Chucky just looks over and he goes, Chucky. Like, in his pissed-off, like, monotone voice, like... I ain't got yeah. time for your ass. It's Chucky. So he lets Kyle go. Let's her off on a warning. And this is when Chucky has just turned. She's, he has pushed Kyle to the limit. She puts on her seatbelt. And she proceeds to go really fast and slam that brake. Which just throws Chucky through the front windshield. And she goes to hit him. In another movement that I think is funny as shit. Even though it's wrong. He hits her and he's like, oh, Goddamn women drivers. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then she crashes. Chucky once again gets, uh, he's takes her hostage, has her take him to the shelter across the street. Because what you know, they happen to crash right across the street from the shelter. And this is when we get a three way encounter between Chucky, I mean, between Kyle, Andy, and Grace and inside her office. And she kind of like, it's this awkward three-way stance between the three of them. And she's just like, give me that doll. And Chucky just comes to life just going, amazing, isn't it? And he just stabs her. of a joke. Don't give me that. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I love this death scene. Uh, of course, gotta mention the photocopier just taking tens of hundreds of her goddamn picture as she's dying across the machine. Kyle chases this newspaper truck that has Andy and Chucky on the back of it. Um, they're just gonna go on a little drive while Chucky transfers souls. Smart, smart idea. Until she cuts the driver off and, and makes him not drive anymore. <laughs> um, 
But the driver, though, is played by the black guy from Commando, who Matrix kills on the plane and sets it up to make it look he's sleep- sleeping. He's like, don't disturb my friend. He's very sleepy. That's, <laughs> that's the guy. From that, that's who he is. You know what I'm talking about, right? Crazy yeah. bitch. That's what he says <laughs> to Kyle in this movie. He's like, crazy bitch. Uh, so we arrive at the PlayPal Toys, PlayPal Toys Factory and... Checky's uh, next unsuccessful attempt to transfer souls. Close your eyes and count to seven. When you wake, you'll be in heaven. (laughs) This is it, world. From now on, no more Mr. Good Guy. Adi Dewey Dembella. Give me the power, I beg of you. Love, merci, Dubois, child. Sacrus and Tam, mes poids de mort. Mortis, mes. He is too late, and he is stuck in human form. And he just goes on this tirade, flipping out because he's stuck in his body. Yeah. And in the middle I... of this, of uh, the middle of this outburst, he just goes, "What the hell?" And looks up, and these boxes fall on him because Kyle pushes yeah. the shit over. It's, I th- it's I like this realization because. It, to me, it ups the stakes because up until now, like he's trying to transfer, so you know he's not gonna just out and out uh, kill Andy because he wants to transfer bodies or whatever. Oh yeah, right. But now the realization, it's like, oh shit's on now. He's got nothing to lose. He can't transfer bodies, so <laughs> he's just gonna off them both. So yeah, I like that realization. He's like, oh fuck. This this whole third act is just genius. The the, the kudos to whoever came up with the concept. I mean, it's it's an obvious concept, but just having it take place in this factory. Now, I will mention that the reason why there's so many toys on production is because originally in Don Mancini's script, this was supposed to take place at Christmas. So that's why they had so many of the, of the boxes at the warehouse. That's, that's why PlayPal Toys has so many good guy dolls 
stocked up and they're still continuing production on them because like I yeah. said it was supposed to be Christmas originally but it's not um what's next uh yeah so Andy and Kyle they're in this maze there's they, they I don't even know how to describe this um they, they're lost in this maze of good guy doll boxes and they eventually get to this roller and they're, they, gotta, they gotta climb up to get out of where they are, I'm assuming. And Chucky, Andy just slides down. Love this close-up shot on Andy as he's sliding down. And then we see Chucky pop up at the bottom as he gets to the bottom of the shit. And he's gotta climb back up. Just another moment of the film that I've always thought was great. I've always thought about this scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the... Conceptually, I think it's great having it in, like, this toy production factory. It's just like you could tell, like in the original. I like the finale in that one too, but they were just like, "How can we up the original finale?" And they just did it. Like you could tell, so much more care and thought, and just so much more money was thrown into this, and it really shows this whole uh, third act. <sighs> yep. Um. So there's the PlayPal toy technician, or, or whoever you want to call him, working there. This alarm goes off. Some dolls are getting stocked up on the conveyor belt from Andy and Kyle. They're trying to go for this exit, but they it turns out to be locked anyway. And in in turn, all these dolls get backed up because it's it's where the uh, eyes are supposed to be inserted. And this guy, this poor schmuck, just clears the the the, the jam up, and then he turns around and. Chucky slashes at him and he falls back and then he gets these big ass Chucky doll eyes implanted into his skull. It's a funny death scene, but it's like probably my least favorite of the of the, of the film. It's whatever. I mean, this film already has a low body count, so I don't know. What do you think about the eye popping employee? <laughs> I always uh, really like that. I mean, you know, it's kind of silly, but I thought it was a good like uh, just throwaway kill in there to add it to the body count. <laughs> So, anywho, um, Kyle and Andy witness what happens when Andy bumps into this wrong. He bumps this wrong button, causing the belt to go in reverse, and the dial that they're looking at goes back into this arm and leg assembly box that I'm pretty sure was just made up for the film. They don't actually do it like that. Uh, so, this is when Chucky appears and is stapled onto this platform that he's sitting on while pretending he's. He shows up behind Colin and, and Andy, uh, pretending to be one of the dolls that's on, you know, on production. And he laughs. That's his mistake. He laughs before he swings his knife. So, dumbass. Rookie mistake. Gets exposed. They the, the machine staples him down to the platform, and they hit the reverse button. And, you know, Chucky's like, please, Andy, I was only kidding. And, you know, they, they fucking flip him off, and he's like... <gasps> You'll be sorry as the door closes. He gives off this you'll be sorry <laughs> look. And we just yeah, hear like I, I like the reaction there. <laughs> yeah, and then Chucky. we just hear Chucky like audibly saying out loud it hurts and shit. And just his voice work really makes this scene more effective. Um he's crying out in pain. We see all these parts seemingly be inserted. Um but yeah, uh, we don't see anything else after uh, Andy hits the button. And Chucky hits the machine, and that's that. But 
Somewhere afterward, Chucky somehow manages to lift the corpse of the dead technician into the air as he's swinging. Because he swings down and knocks out Kyle. And Kyle's going up this belt. The same belt that Chucky just went up. Oh, sorry gang. Chucky survived the ordeal in that box. Thanks for coming after me. Yeah, well, you owe me one, squirt. Chuck, Andy saves Kyle at the very last second before she becomes fucked up like Chucky, I guess. And I don't know. Like, can you explain how Chucky can lift the, lift the corpses who look like they weigh about 300 pounds soaking wet? You're speechless. Oh, I'm sorry. I I I was um I was actually just looking at my phone for a second. Oh. Sorry, reset. I, I was uh, drifting for a sec. No, I'm just asking about Chuck. Do you think... What is your response to this fucking idea that Chucky can hoist dead corpses up into the air and let them swing down? And Well, you know, it calls into question the whole thing. Like, you know, really at any point. So, like, earlier in the movie when he strangles... um, I forget the character's name, but the, the toy... Yeah, Madsen at the beginning, like it calls into question of like how much strength would a doll really have? I mean, obviously, I'm guessing not that much. So it's one of those things where, yeah, it's kind of silly, like that. Realistically, it's kind of silly that he could be a threat to much of any adult with, you know, other than the element of surprise. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is, and especially as a kid. I mean, as a kid, I was terrified. Like, I didn't even think about it. Right, right. But, um, you know, as you watch it, yeah, it definitely stretches credibility a little bit. Like, seeing him lift up a full-grown adult. Yeah, and that's practically the obvious conversation to have about any Kilo Dollar movie. And there's actually a perfectly good reason why I've, you know, yet to acknowledge that little... I don't even know what to call it. But we're getting to it. We got categories coming up, and I assure you, it will be brought up again during one of those. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, so... Chucky, like I said, still not dead. He attacks Kyle, and Kyle, he, he, well, he swings and cuts this airline, and so it's exposed, and it, it's like blasting out air, so Kyle grabs it and sticks it in Chucky's mouth, and it causes <laughs> his head to expand like fucking ten times the normal size until it explodes. It looks like the, one of the deformed gangsters from Dick Tracy that came out the same year. The one that has the big ass head at the card table. That's what yeah. Chucky looks like in this scene before his head just goes poof, explodes. Uh, that is Chucky, man. He's. It, film don't fuck around. Chucky's head explodes, he dies, and Andy and Kyle 
uh, leave the factory together. Where are we going? Anywhere. Or home. Where's home? I have no idea. Where are we going? Home. Where's home? Andy, I have no idea. Cut the credits. <laughs> That's the film. Shit. Yeah. I just would have. I would just would have died if they were like, "Let's go to Denny's or something yeah. like that." Like afterwards. Let's get some waffles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling pancakes. All right, let's get to the categories. First up, Trivial Pursuit. It's funny. Little things used to mean so much to Shelley. I used to think they were kind of trivial. Believe me, nothing is trivial. So, in an early draft, I said this already, the Christmas thing about the good guy dolls being in the factory. Um, originally, the film was, though, supposed to open with a courtroom scene with a jury sentencing Karen Barkley to a mental institute for insisting that Chucky was alive and both Catherine Hicks and Chris Sarandon were intended on reprising their roles as Karen and Detective Mike Norris from the first film. Chris Sarandon recalled just last year to People Magazine that he declined to return when asked due to director Tom Holland not being involved. However, their scenes were said to be cut from the script because of budgetary constraints and as a such of their omission, the film is much shorter than the other installments of the series. The courtroom scene would be recycled as the ending to Curse of Chucky in 2013, it also would have contained a scene where Chucky's remains were held in a police evidence locker along with Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers' masks, an idea which came to be reused in Ride of Chucky in 1998. They named the good guy Dal Tommy after Child's Play director Tom Holland. Jenny Gutter talked about her earlier. She has disowned the film and hates it, saying that it was one of the worst experiences she's had filming a film. She was particularly disappointed when a lot of her best scenes were left on the cutting room floor, reducing Joanne to practically a minor character. And she's right. I mean, let's just be real here. The film is only like 80, 85 minutes long. Not a whole lot of room for character development, except for Kyle, because of the scenes with her and Andy. That's, you know, we get a lot of them two together. But... Phil and Ape, I'm thinking of Bam Margera. Phil and Jenny, Jenny, that's her actual name. Phil and Joanne, I know I get it out. They are just, you know, they're just secondary characters that we don't really know much about, except for the fact that they love adopting kids. Phil's a hard ass. And Joanne has knickknacks from her grandmother that are passed down. And can sew curtains. And she loves making curtains. Uh, the director, John LaFia, felt that the movie should be primary, primarily shot from the child's perspective and more specifically from Andy and Chucky's perspectives. To achieve this, he employs very wide lenses, very low angles, bright colors, and a deep depth of field as he felt that this was how the world looked at him as a child. Many have praised the film for the childlike look and uh, saying that it's the most effective quality over the years. And like I said earlier, that's that's... Totally what I love about this movie, probably the most, is the way it looks. Um, yeah, it looks great. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's beautifully shot. It's, it's definitely the highlight of the movie. In later seasons of Seinfeld, 
which, which also included uh, Grace Poole actress Grace Zaborski. Uh, I'm sorry, Zabriskie. Uh, she plays Mrs. Ross. A copy of Child's Play 2 on VHS can be spotted in Jerry's apartment with the rest of his VHS collection. And I actually knew that. I I remember watching Seinfeld back in the 90s when it was still in its initial run. And I remember watching, seeing his VHS collection and seeing like, is that Child's Play 2? Is that a spine on, of Child's Play 2 on VHS? And as it turns out, yes, it is. To promote the film, fans could call the telephone number 1-900-860-4248 and speak with Chucky. He would tell a story, play a game, or call back later with a special message. It cost $2 for the first minute and $1 for each additional. The character of Grace Poole is named after the mysterious servant of Mr. Rochester in uh, Charlotte Bront's classic novel Jane Eyre, the moment where Andy and Kyle are trying to find their way out of the factory with the tunnel of good guy dolls was a direct homage to Kubrick's The Shining. And you can see that too. It's It looks shot by shot. It's like you have Andy and Kyle and you have uh, uh, Danny and uh, 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 Christ, I forgot her name. Yeah, Danny's mother. Uh, the moment, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, Kevin Yeager ended up directing several scenes featuring Chucky when the puppets were problematic to work with because John LaFia was so persistent about making sure that, that they got the right takes of Chucky. It took an entire day to shoot the scene of Chucky stepping out of the closet with the ruler. <laughs> I could see that, but it looks really good. I mean, it paid off. It did, but this goes back to the 19 takes that it took for Matt's in the park a fucking car in the rain. It's, it's stuff like that that yeah you're definitely gonna get called up from one of the from one of the executives because that's just that's a little ridiculous. Um, Phil Simpson is somehow even more of an antagonist in the novelization for the film. He gets some new deadpan snarker lines of a pointedly cruel sort, and Andy senses the first time he meets him that quote unquote there was something about this man that he didn't like. And to contrast with his boss, Sullivan, Matson is made more evil in the novelization, as well as the, the film's TV cut, by being shown to be a cheating cad running around on his wife. The movie's entire opening scene of Chucky being rebuilt was very thought out and storyboarded in advance. The director, John LaFia, and Chucky designer, Kevin Yeager, had many thorough discussions regarding the look of the doll's underskull and the tools that would be used to clean it. More specifically, Lafia wanted to include the scraping of the teeth, which we got, and requested that the head be on a turntable so that it could be it could spin around into the camera shot, which, again, we also got. The first of two films in the series where Chucky doesn't use a gun as a weapon, although he would use a squirt gun as a decoy, he doesn't use a gun at all, real or fake, in Curse of Chucky either. Everything, every other film, he uses a gun. Unlike the original movie, Don Mancini was the only writer solely on the movie because he felt the character of Chucky wasn't developed to its fullest potential in the first film. Mancini gave Chucky a true personality and played the events of the movie off, on him, off of him. He was all, also able to reuse several of original ideas from the original film, particularly the classroom and factory sequences, but would still remain confined by the voodoo mythology established by that of the film's director, Tom Holland, that Mancini was not very fond of. 
When making the score, composer Graham Ravel was trying to emulate fellow movie composer Danny Elfman at the time. Right down to using Elfman's production posse conductor, Shirley Walker. Elfman scored Darkman and Nightbreed the same year that Child's Play 2 was released. And now this is a good one. Andy's jacket in the finale, that, that, that blue jacket that he's wearing, blue and yellow I think it is, like patches of color. It's if it looks if it looks familiar, it was the same jacket that a- actor Miko Hughes wears in Kindergarten Cop, which also features fellow Child's Play 2 co-star Adam Wiley, as both movies were made about Universal the same year, at the same time actually. Beth Grant was hesitant to accept the role of Andy's strict, ill-fated teacher, Miss Kettlewell. Although Grant liked the script, she was intimidated by doing a, about doing a horror movie. She called her friend, actress Dinah Manoff, who played Maggie from the first film, asking for advice. Manoff replied, well, if you see Child's Play, you'll find that I'm in it. Grant took her attitude as a good omen and then signed on. And finally, the film's final body count is seven. Now, before we move on talk about that tv cut so here are the scenes that were ultimately shown on the tv cut that you can't find in the actual final cut two different scenes with joanne and phil discussing andy and the adoption agency letting them keep the child the children they adopt an argument between two men in the dark after the co-worker is electrocuted and the sound of chucky's running around the man lands differently after smashing through the glass window after being electrocuted, I remember this uh, the, this scene because I remember for the fact that you hear Chucky running around and and you, I think it's Madsen. He was like, "What is that? What was that?" Um, before the assistant Madsen calls his girlfriend, he calls his wife and tells her he has to work late. There's a scene where Kyle stops in an alleyway to search for the newspaper delivery truck with Andy and Chucky in it. So she seemingly loses the truck in in the TV version. Andy, uh, I'm sorry, Kyle tells Chucky, playtime's over just before he gets disfigured in that box. In the final cut, I think she just flips him off. Um, A scene right after Phil nearly runs into a PlayPal truck uh, in the beginning. Uh, Joanne asks Andy if he's alright. And then finally, this is the biggest difference. In the ending... And in the theatrical version, we just see Kyle and Andy come out of the factory, and Andy's like, where's home? And Kyle says she has no idea. And the TV cut, after that scene happens, there's actually a shot that follows. We, we go back into the factory, and um, a pe- we see a piece of Chucky's head from when it exploded. It falls into the batter, like the fake skin or whatever. And it's essentially the beginning of Child's Play 3. We see it at the end of Child's Play 2. Because we see that the chunk of his head go into the batter. And then we see a new mold created on this machine. And the mold, after it's created, the the face gives this really evil smile. And then it, it actually freeze frames on that. And that's how the end credits start to uh, come up. Is on that freeze frame shot of Chucky's grin. From the uh, the mold that was just formed, so it's cool. It it really is. I I implore everyone to look it up on YouTube. It's it's there. Or if you had the 4K Screen Factory disc, it's also on the Blu-ray copy. Just uh, look into it. It's 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 some pretty cool stuff. 
Anyway. Yeah, definitely is. Anyway, let's uh We've heard about our thoughts throughout scene by scene. Let's let's take a walk to the critics corner and see what they all have to say about the film. <laughs> Child's Play 2 has a Rotten Tomato score of 40% based off of 15 reviews. It's got a meta score of 37 out of 100. And that's really it. I couldn't find the consensus. There's no cinema score for the movie. But let's hear what Siskel and Ebert had to say about the film from their show, shall we? Okay, I sat down and I had a long talk with myself after I saw our next movie, which is named Child's Play 2. And I found myself having an argument between my head and my heart. My head told me that this movie did indeed deliver the goods, that it was a truly frightening thriller and it was a well-made film. But my heart told me the movie was sick and unwholesome, a completely malignant exercise. The movie, once again, tells the story of a little boy who's terrorized by an evil doll, a doll named Chucky, that contains the mind and soul of a mass murderer. The violent and malicious doll was destroyed at the end of the first movie, but now Chucky is back. I told you we were going to be friends to the end, and now it's time to play. This is a movie in which a little boy's mother is taken away from him and he lives with foster parents and is blamed for the death of one of them. And everywhere he goes, people are killed and mutilated and nobody will believe him. And this Chucky doll is pure evil, unadulterated, profane, and foul-mouthed evil. The closing sequence of Child's Play 2 inside a toy factory is truly horrifying. It's good filmmaking, but it made me feel unclean and disturbed as I was watching it. And I can only imagine what effect it might have on small children. As a film critic, I have to say this movie is well made and effective but as a human being I wish I hadn't seen it what good can come of having such foul and ugly images pumped into your mind I think that my um, heart and mind may be closer connected than yours I, I don't make too much of a distinction um, I, I thought that uh, I was laughing at the film because it was so preposterous um, when they have that little doll uh, attacking with a knife at the same time it's sickening Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think that the filmmaking was pretty good. I, I'll, the only thing I'll grant you is the the the, the final fight in the in the toy factory, the toy factory. is well staged yes, because is. you have all the boxes and that's and that's and the pretty assembly engaged. line and all that's the other I, stuff. Okay, yes. that, that part. But that's the that's the end of the picture. Uh, all of the other setup involving the doll is, is, is really silly. And again, I must stress well, and I must stress how violently abusive the doll is and how uh, sickening the, the, the role that the, an actual child yeah, had to see, play opposite. Even then you're contradicting yourself because if it's silly then it wouldn't be violently abusive. It's more than silly, Gene. Oh, no. It's really sick. I have a knee-jerk response to showing children in jeopardy and it is, it is cheap and is rarely justified and in this piece of trash it's not justified Well, my only point would be that the movie is even worse because it's so well made. You have to grant it it's well made and that's only, one only of the in the like, last sequence. All right, Richard Harrington from the Washington Post said that an inevitable sequel that's not as good as its predecessor, but also but better than most movies with the numbers 2 through 8 in their titles. Variety wrote, Child's Play 2 is another case of rehashing the few novel elements of an original to the point of utter numbness. And finally, Kevin Thomas from the LA Times thought the original was a terrific one in... I'm sorry thought the original was a one-of-a-kind terrific film, but not not so the sequel. 
It's an all-out horror film, handsomely produced, but morbid and not in the least amusing to watch. See? This is why I just say fuck it to the critics and say fuck it, they're gonna hate because they're gonna hate. It's the early 90s, horror is in a dark, dark place that's kind of shunned upon. It's, um, it's looked at as embarrassing. It's, it's a lot of things. Um, and that's unfortunate. I bet you if half these reviewers kind of revisit these things that they're shit knowing today, they'd have a whole new respect for it, I think. That's just what I think, if they're even still alive. I know Cisco and both Eber are, are, are no longer with us, but hey, I'm sure Kevin Thomas is still lingering, shitting on new movies, and same with Richard Harrington. But hey, what do I know? Alright, so now that we heard what they all had to say, like we give a shit, let's talk about what we all thought in the form of pros and cons. And I hope you do give a shit. Robin, get me my legal pad. It's pros and cons time! Yeah! <laughs> Alright, Corey, since we haven't heard from you in a minute, what are your pros? Uh, I mean, my top pro for this one is it just really expands on the technology. I mean, Chucky just looks so good in this. I mean, it's a noticeable step up. Yeah. You know, in the original, they use a lot of tricks, like uh, body doubles and different cameras. And I mean, they employ some of that here. But um, just the technology is just so much better. Like, especially if you watch the first one back to back with the second one. Agreed. I, I, I mean, it's really noticeable, you know, as far as the technology. I, I'm just a sucker for like the animatronics and the puppetry and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I just want to call that out as number one. Uh, number two, I mean, the movie just looks great. I mean, it's just, you know, it's very easy for uh, these horror sequels to get like a daytime soap opera type look or just a right. very cheap generic look and this movie doesn't i mean it, it it's a legit horror movie just the way the camera angles are done the different effects like in the beginning when it's raining uh the movie looks great i mean it's you know when i was younger i couldn't put my finger on it but watching it now i mean it it's a great looking movie i, I really appreciate all the thought that went in to just the way the different camera angles are and just the different shots. I mean, you know, I love the shot when Chucky's like thrown down the steps and the lights change. I mean, yeah. you don't have to do that, but that, I mean, that looks really good. Like it's a very vivid shot that sticks into my head. I love that so, light transition. That's a great shot. Yeah. So it's just stuff like that. I mean, uh, to me, the movie looks great. And then uh, my last pro is the performances. I mean, obviously you have Brad Dorf. I mean, he steals the show as the voice, but you know, I, I want to call out the um, kid acting in this. I mean, you know, it, it, Alex Vincent's very, very young. Like, it, it's very easy to either come across annoying or, you know, he's not really acting. And yeah, there's a few spots where he's a little, you know, like, eh, shaky, you know. Compared like, to the first up. movie, it's like an Academy Award winning performance. He's so much better in this film than he was in the first one. And, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just, I'm, I'm adding to what you're saying since you're talking about it now and I wasn't planning on it myself. I agree, and I think he's so much better than the first movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, he, he's great. Like, I, I, you know, I totally buy him as Andy in this. I think he he's fantastic. I think it was very sad uh, that he didn't come back for the third one. I think that was, like, one of my biggest disappointments, yeah. um, you know, when I was seeing about the third one. Uh, but, you know, Alex Vincent is great. Christine Elise is great as Kyle. I mean, she's wonderful. The chemistry between the two is awesome. But really them two, like, you know, they hold the movie down. And just like that holy trio of them two and Brad Dorf, 
just make the movie for me. I mean, it's just awesome. Um, and then the last quick pro, I know you're going to bring it up too. the music in this is really good. Like it's definitely a step up from like a normal, like, um, horror sequel. So I just want to throw that in there too. the real quick is the music. So, I mean, four pros, like really, really good stuff all around. Yeah, I'll start since you just brought it up. I'll, I'll piggyback on that and, and bring up Ravel's score. Um, huge fan of it. Always have been. I, I love the childlike elements. It it sounds like a creepy kids, you know, com, you know, com, composed orchestral piece. It's. I love the fact that it would go on to be the show's theme years later. They they of all the themes throughout this series, they stuck with this one to you know bring in the show every week which is great uh it's one of the most beautiful looking well shot horror films i've ever seen it's like i said the way it's shot from the perspective of a child there's so much appreciation for the look and feel of this movie from from everywhere from john lafia to stefan zapsky it's it's something that's not you're not used to seeing this kind of appreciation to a horror movie, especially a horror sequel around this time. So a lot of attention to detail that I'm a big fan of. I, I, I appreciate so much of that. It still manages to scare me. I'm not afraid to admit that at 39 years old, depending on my mood when I'm watching this movie, I it can it has a tendency to make me feel uneasy you know there's still moments of horror that are effective at least to me um the cast is really solid looking back at it today and i love that runtime and swift pacing so you you, you sell me on an 80 85 minute horror film i'm in i'm in man i'm in so those are my pros though all right on the cons you're up yeah, I mean, it, it's really tough for me. I really don't have a lot. I mean, it, you know, they really they, they really took the original and just, you know, expanded upon it. So, uh, you know, as far as for me, I mean, it's like and there's really nothing major that I would say that stands out that, uh, you know, kind of bothers me. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't really have anything. I, I you know, there's really nothing that stands out to me. So no con. I'll bring it up here. Yeah, I'll bring up the pink elephant in the room. Watching a two-foot doll overpower people much bigger than it. It's always going to be laughable and eye-rolling, even though they actually explain this in the series of how he's so strong. Um, and spoiler alert, it's Dumbala. But, you know, it, even that aside, you know, finding out why years later, it it's something that I look past but it's just something that I had to acknowledge. I had to bring it up at least, you know. Um, and I figured this would be the moment too. It's not really a con though, but it is. It's a con only in the sense that, hey, I felt the need as a host of this show to bring this up. It's a point that I'm sure people think about when they think about this movie or the series or Killer Dial films in general. So yeah, it, I'm doing them a service and, and, and at least acknowledging it so other than that i got nothing else for the cons because there's nothing else to hate on so let's move on to our mulliga moment if you had to do it all over again 
Would you make the same choices? We're not going to hate on things. We're just going to say what we would simply change if we had the power to. So, Mulligan movement for me, I would add two to three more kills. I would probably change Sullivan's demise to happen in this movie somehow, rather than wait till the beginning of part three. Um, so definitely find the way to kill him off before we get to the whole Andy and his foster parent situation. Maybe after he kills Madsen before running to the house, he kills Sullivan too. Who knows? I don't know. But maybe just beef up the kill count a little bit more. Um, even though it's supposed it's seven, it's still it feels like it's a lot lower than that. So yeah, that's that's what I would change if I was given the power. I would just add two to three more kills and over satisfy myself with that. That's all. How about you? Uh, you know, my biggest one that always bothered me, uh, you know, they, obviously they did, they did a good job of getting Alex Vincent back and Brad Dorf, but, uh, you know, I would really like Andy's mom to uh, be back in this film. Like, yeah. even if it was just for, like, a beginning scene, you know, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie, it would be really cool, like, you know, if you see her getting locked up into a mental institution or something like that. You know, I, obviously I know they talk about it and, you know... I, I, you know, I'm sure they couldn't. Um, I forget the actress's name that played Catherine his Hicks. Mom. Yeah, Catherine Hicks. I'm sure they couldn't get her back or something like that. You know, I, I'm sure that's what it was. But, you know, I just really wish like they did such a good job with everything else. I just really wish you could see, like, you know, get her getting thrown in the mental the loony bin or whatever or something like that. You know, it's just. I just think about what could have been, because honestly, you know, you, you brought it up before, like uh, on the different drafts of the script. It's just like, you know, there was plenty of different things they could have did differently at the beginning. But, you know, just like Andy's mom, just a little bit. That always bothered me as a kid. I'm like, where's his mom at? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I'll say this much. Catherine Hicks was on set a lot of this movie. She was on set for like the majority of filming because she was engaged to Kevin Yeager at the time. They're actually still married to this day. Um, and she was always there just supporting her husband and bringing him lunch and stuff. And talks about how she was always there, like, joking around, like, hey, if you guys need me, I'm, I'm here, you know, willing to work whenever you need me. So it's it's not like they couldn't get her back, but it, it sounds like it was legitimately just budgetary reasons, just that and time constraints. And I don't think the entire crew was sold on the idea of opening this horror film on this courtroom thing and doing, all, you know, that's that's why it was reused in Curse Chucky years later. So it's not like these ideas go, once they're shot down, they don't just throw them in the toilet and, hit, and flush it. They, they no, they, they, they recycle it later on. So just like the, the um, evidence locker that was at the beginning of Bada Chucky that was supposed to be in this. You know, just things that don't that not everyone's on board with, but it, it doesn't mean it's out of the realm of a possibility that it could be used for something else. So, that's that. Um All right, well then shit, let's get to uh finger looking good. <laughs> finger looking good. Let's talk about our favorite moments of the film, and for me, I, I think it's the obvious answer and it's the right answer. And that is the third act, the finale, the the factory. I mean, this is 
what I think about when I think about Child's Play 2, there's hallways of dial boxes and, and the maze that are made up of all these good guy dolls. That that's what that's the stuff that comes out to me that, that strikes me. The whole Chucky losing his fucking hand. We didn't even talk about that. He loses his goddamn hand and makes that knife hand, you know. I hate kids. I love that line. I forgot to talk about that. I hate kids. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um but yeah, it's that you know, it, it's Come on, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. It's the best moment of the film. It's the, it's the moment that everyone talks about. Um, I mean, I, I love this movie as a whole, but give me the good guy factory all day long. So that's my uh, finger looking good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for me, it would be the same. I mean, the, the ending scene is just so awesome. It's just, you know, it, it just gives you so much uh, Chucky goodness at the end it's hard not to pick i just More love how he comes to form yeah chuck for your buck and you know you don't fuck with the chuck either so you know it's just like so much good stuff at the end like i always loved how he's like melt by the end he's fucking melted to this pan pulling himself along he's got yeah. his knife hand i mean it, it's pretty awesome and the, the way they kill him at the end is so over the top with his head exploding but it's so awesome looking so, you know, it, it's hard not to pick that. I mean, another one of my favorite parts um, is when he's interacting with Tommy, the other doll. I just love, shut up, you idiot. Like, shut up, just, you idiot. I <laughs> <laughs> just thought that was hilarious. Like, hug uh, this. That. Yeah, I just love him, like, getting so mad at the stupid other doll. So I, <laughs> I, I wanted to throw that in there, too. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anybody can really pick anything but that you know the third act the ending scene i mean that's that's what you're there for so yeah it's awesome i mean it's it's so great like it pays off so well oh yeah it definitely does that all right let's get to our movie mvps maybe we'll have some uh a more diverse answer for this one all right now you might think i'm a little biased but i take my job as a presenter very seriously i will show no favoritism I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... So, my MVP of this movie, I'm giving the old statue to Christina Lee as Kyle. Um, I, I think she's a force to be reckoned with. I love her introduction to the series in this movie. Um, she's a very strong, independent woman. Uh, hands down, one of the things I think about most when I think about this movie in hindsight is just her character and what a kick-ass final girl she is i mean i think it's safe to say that she's a final girl especially it's pretty much down to her and chucky with andy being kind of on the sidelines during the encounter he's just there um but yeah it's through and through she's you know she's a strong heroine she's definitely definitely deserves to be in the conversation of you know some of the all-time great final girls you know a lot a lot of people bring up Langenkamp, Ramey Steele. I mean, Christina Lee's. It's right in front of you. You know, she's kick-ass. So, she's my MVP, though. I'm, I'm curious as to what your, your pick is. Yeah, I mean, first I want to give a special shout-out to Beth Grant. I just love her in this movie. <laughs> you know, it's such a short role, but she 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 looks the part and plays the part so well. Uh, you know, I, I just love her in this. I mean, as far as, like 
you know, the MVP, really, you could give it to any of the three main people. And, the, you know, when I say that, I mean, um, I mean, Brad Dorif, right. um, Alex Vincent, or um, Christina Elise. Like, Christina Elise. Like, e- any three of those, I couldn't really argue with you. Right. You know, to me, they're all essential to the movie. I mean, Brad Dorf, he's great. You know, his voice makes it. I mean, it would be very easy to be generic or not nearly as funny in his delivery. So, of course, you know, he's awesome. And then, like I said, Alex Vincent. I mean, it's not so much that, you know, it's like a spectacular performance, but it's a good, solid performance from such a young kid. Like, I just really do appreciate that because, you know, I root for it. You know, I was rooting for Andy. I mean, even as a kid, there were so many performances. I'm like, I hate that kid. You know, it's not even just an adult thing. Even as a kid, I'm like, man, that kid's annoying or a terrible actor, you know, but I never felt that that way about Alex Vincent. I thought even in the first one, when he's a lot rougher, I liked him in that. And he's just so much better in this one. It's just a huge improvement. I mean, he's he's good in the film. I mean, yeah, there's a few spots like where he's tied up, like you said before. Uh, That always bothered me, too. I'm like, what what's wrong with him right there? (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, if I'm thinking back, I mean, I have to give it to Christina Lee's, too. I, you know, I was so young. I didn't even have really a crush on her at the time. I just wanted her to, like, hang out with me and be like a big sister like she was to Andy. You know what I mean? She was so awesome. Like, I always really like Kyle. I like the name Kyle, too. That's a that's a cool name. For, yeah. Like, a girl. Yeah. I mean, she was just so awesome. Like, I, I really like her. I. You know, I, I was really upset, too, like when the third one came out. I mean, there was just so many things. I'm like, why is Andy different? Where the fuck is Kyle? Like, you know, that's just what I'm thinking to myself the whole time. I'm like, you know, I'd have been totally cool if in the third one. It just followed Kyle, honestly. Like, Pretty that's much. how much I liked her character in this. If they just followed Kyle in the third one, I would have been cool with that. Like, if she went to military school, honestly, that would have <laughs> been fine with me. I think that would have been a good decision to do, you know, but um. Yeah, I, I, I got to give it up to her. She is great. Just the chemistry between her and Alex Vincent. Uh, just the way she pulled off being like the angsty teen, but it wasn't over the top. And she's still likable. Like, it's very easy to have that angsty teen rebellious character and just to be kind of douchey and not likable. And they're just she's just rebelling to rebel. But no, she's not like that. Like, she's, you know, she comes off as likable and a decent person. You know, she just had a bad upbringing, so I gotta give it to her. She's the, yeah, she's my MVP. She's the shining star in this one. Alright, well, time to get physical in the form of physical media. Child's Play 2 had its initial VHS release on April 11th, 1991 from Universal Home Video. It was released on Laserdisc a week later, November or not, April 18th. Same company, Universal. Came out on DVD on March 16th, 1998. That's when it made its bare bones release debut on the DVD format. Blu-ray came out. Um, there was a bare bones Universal Blu-ray. That, I believe, came out when sometime in August of 2018. But then four years later, in August, on well, my birthday, actually, 2020, 2022, that's when Scream Factory put out the first, second, and third films on all-new Collector's Edition, 4K editions. That includes Dolby Atmos audio, brand-new interviews, television cutscenes, commentary from John LaFia, trailers, and TV spots. 
So it's definitely a, a release that I've been, I was looking for, I was calling for. I kept on tagging Screen Factory. Hey guys, you gotta do all, you have to do Screen, you have to do a uh, Child's Play too. You're doing like Phantasm too. You're doing these uh, these these Friday the 13th joints. Now you gotta do some Chucky. Give give Chucky some love. And they answered my calls and they finally put them out and they look great. They sound great. They have great new features. And uh, yeah, so that's that. Anywho, we have enough time to do our final effect rating. How would you rate this one, Miles? And double feature pairings. Yeah, we made a great pair. And I'm going to let you take the wheel and kick things off. How about you give us your final feature, our final rating, and double feature pairing, Corey? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is definitely uh, four and a half out of five stars. I mean, it to me... You know, when you say underrated, I, I think people misconstrue what you're trying to say. I mean, I think to a lot of people, this is just like a decent sequel, like to a franchise. But, uh, you know, to me, I'll put this up there with any horror classic. You know, to right. me, it's a horror classic. You know, I m- some people might laugh if I put this up against like Halloween. And I'm not saying it's a better movie than Halloween or anything like that. But uh, to me, in my childhood and for my nostalgia, you know, as far as like seminal films, I remember watching this one like more vividly than the first time I saw Halloween or Friday the 13th or a lot of those other movies. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I, it's just important to me. So, you know, I can't argue with anybody that says those films are better. And obviously, like, you know, those films are more influential than this was. This came a lot later, but it's just an awesome film. Like, I, I think that's when you're saying underrated. I understand that. Like, uh, you know, to me, it's a horror classic. It's the best of the franchise uh, for, you know, the horror icon that Chucky is. And that's really what you're saying. And I agree. You know, I, I you know, a lot of people might rate this like middle of the road or, oh, you know, it's a better sequel than it probably should be. Uh, but to me, there's really nothing major I would change. I think it's a great film. I think they improved on so much from the original. I you know, there's really, other than a few tweaks, there really isn't anything I would have done different or change. You know, there's a lot of uh, little details that they throw in there, callbacks. Uh, you brought up the runtime. I love the runtime. You know, I, I love the fact that they didn't make it um, overwrought Just or anything out. like that. You know, so, I, you know, to me, it's, it's like a dang near perfect horror sequel. Like, honestly, I really couldn't ask for anything else. And, uh, you know, it, it's one I go back and rewatch. I mean, it, you know, I've seen... The original trilogy of these films I've seen a bunch of times and Bride because I like Bride a lot. Um, but this one is always like the first one. If I'm in the mood for Chucky, this one is always the first one I go back and revisit. I mean, to me, it's like a no brainer. So, you know, it, it, people might think I'm crazy, you know, put, putting a four and a half out of five on this movie and, um, you know, giving it my seal of approval. But I do. I mean, it, you know, it, it stands up for me. Like there's very few films where. Uh, like we were describing earlier, where I can remember like us literally running downstairs, excited, popping the tape in and then just shitting our fucking pants the whole time. And, you know, because like you brought it up earlier with the shot where Chucky's running in to the house. Like that yeah. scared the shit out of me. I, I used to have nightmares of like seeing that POV shot of Chucky running into <laughs> my personal house. Oh, yeah. And then I would fucking wake up screaming <laughs> and be scared. So. You know, it's just, it. I love this movie. So, yeah, I was glad to be on and, you know, I'll stick up for it. You know, <laughs> it's like, it, 
you know, I'll fight anybody and says this isn't a great film. You know, to me, it is like I can understand why anybody right. else would say that. But to me, it is. Um, as for my double pairing, I mean, it's a no brainer for me as well. Dolls like uh, another one of my favorite um, <laughs> killer dolls movies. Uh, it's definitely underrated. It's not nearly as known. It's like a child's play. And it's definitely a weird movie. It's got like this weird sense of charm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people that were our age that went through the video store will remember dolls because of the cover, the cover art of the doll holding right, up right, yeah, yeah. the hands with the um, two eyes sticking out. But uh, I just love that movie. It's just like if you're a, if you're a killer doll fan, um, like, you know, like Ed and I are obviously with Chucky. I think dolls is, you know, I can't miss. I mean, it's just great. It's it's got some weird shit in there. I don't want to uh, um, spoil anything, but um, you know, it's directed by Stuart Gordon. Came out in the mid '80s, and it's just a fun ride as far as like killer dolls movies. It's definitely a lot different, but it has a solid solid child performance in it. Has some great character actors thrown in there as well, and you know, it's another short one, so I, I think it pairs well. Like you can watch both movies in probably like three hours flat. So, you know, it's like uh, you can't really beat that. So to me, I always stick with it. And I love the dolls um, uh, screen factory. It's one of my favorite screen factories that I own, actually. So I highly recommend. All right. I'm going to give this also four and a half stars. Honestly, I could go on and on and on about my love for this film. And even though I don't feel it's a picture perfect film, I still love it as if it was actually a picture perfect horror sequel. The cinematography combined with Ravel's playful, eerie score makes one, makes for one of the realest horror films that actually puts you in the perspective of a kid all over again, which is a unique and it's it's it's, it's a unique idea and something that I wish more filmmakers paid attention to and did with their horror. It's the quintessential child's play film, the best in the franchise, my go-to Chucky variety. I'll still celebrate this film when I'm an old man and hopefully I'll be it'll be passed down and remembered as that genius killer doll movie that Grandpa Eddie used to always rant and rave about. Uh, funny enough, I'm going to pair this up with dolls, even though the first film is the obvious answer. It's also one that I, it's a double feature that I did countless times as a kid. I would always watch the first and second Child's Play films back to back. It's Dolls, like you said, another killer doll, another killer doll film. This one overlooked, never talked about. Even though I've been a fan since its initial release, it's you know it's a killer doll film that delivers in all the right areas. So if you want one like that, look no further than Stuart Gordon's Dolls from 1987. And that's gonna do it for our Child's Play Deuce episode. You know this one's getting our film effects seal of approval one down. Many more to follow. If this was your first time with us, and hopefully we left you entertained for the duration and you walked away learning that thing or two that you didn't know prior to listening. If you're able to, we would genuinely appreciate hearing what you thought in the form of an honest rating or real quick review. You can do either or at Apple, Spotify, Facebook, or simply by leaving an email, filmeffectpod at gmail.com. Be in the know. Film Effect Pod on Twitter, the Film Effect Podcast, everywhere else. Check back this weekend for a new episode of Furycast. Until then, I'm Ed. And I'm still Corey. And this has been an all-new episode of the Film Effect Podcast. And now, a word from our brother Sean. Alright, gang. 
We're going to see you all again next time when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. Bye.